Welcome to the podcast. Today's sponsor is Headspace, and I don't know who needs to hear this, but here you go. You deserve to feel better than you do today. And you can with Headspace. They make meditation simple. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. I know because guess what? I use it myself. It's the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Their approach to mindfulness can reduce your stress, improve your sleep, boost your focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. But it's just not me. Check the numbers. Four weeks of Headspace can increase focus by 14%, and only three weeks of use has shown to cut down aggression to negative feedback by a whopping 57%. That's crazy. With Headspace, you can be 28% less sad in just 10 days. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. Today on the Smart Passive Income Podcast, we're talking about how to use and how to succeed on Clubhouse. Clubhouse, if you didn't know, has come out during the pandemic to revolutionize audio. It's not podcasting, it's live audio and a way to connect with people, a way to grow your brand, a way to validate ideas. And it's such a really, really amazing platform. I've grown my audience there to about 80,000 subscribers and followers. And there's just so many great things that have happened, even though I'm not necessarily on the platform as much as some other people. And today we have a special guest on who's been on the show before. His name is Michael Stelzner. You might know him from Social Media Examiner. You might know him from the Social Media Marketing Podcast, or you might know him from Social Media Marketing World. Either way, as you can tell, he's just completely knowledgeable about all things social media, and he's the one who got me into Clubhouse, and I'm quite thankful for that because it's really, really been a game changer. So I look forward to sharing with you, along with Mike, some of the best practices for utilizing Clubhouse from everything from room etiquette, how to show up, how to stand out, how to massage your bio so people actually check you out and follow through. If you're looking to get podcast guests, Clubhouse is a great way to do it. If you're looking to connect with a mentor, Clubhouse is a great way to do it. If you're looking to promote your brand, Clubhouse is a great way to do it. So let's talk all about it today with Mike. Let's cue the intro, let's go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now, so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, if he could choose any superpower, it would be the power to change to any superpower, Pat Flynn. What is up, y'all? Pat Flynn here. Thank you so much for joining me in session 493 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. And like I said, Mike Stelzner in the house. Let's just cut right to it because we've got a lot, a lot of best practices for you up on Clubhouse. Let's go. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, it's awesome to be back, Pat. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. You know, one thing I miss is seeing you in person. We used to see each other quite a bit. And it's funny because we live really close to each other. But I know. <laughs> One of the places where I always saw you every year was Social Media Marketing World. And of course, the pandemic has put all sort of in-person conferences on a halt. But I also know 
that you are somebody who loves to look at the possibilities of things. And I'd love to ask you just to start out before we start talking about Clubhouse, what did the pandemic do? What did it make possible for your business and sort of how did you adjust to the craziness? Well, Pat, I'm sure you can relate to this. You don't know how much work you put into something until you're not doing it anymore and you realize (laughs) you've got all this free time, (laughs) right? And I'm like, wow, okay. Like not just me, but everybody who works for this company. It was kind of a unfortunate thing that happened because we lost many, many millions of dollars in our main source of income. But what it made possible was explorations of all sorts of new ideas. You know, Clubhouse for sure is a rabbit hole I went down because it happened in December and I didn't have an event coming up in the spring. In addition, I'm now hosting three shows a week. So I do, I took over our social media marketing talk show, which I don't think I could have done if I didn't have the conference, you know, looming. And I also obviously didn't have to give a keynote. You know how much work goes into creating an original keynote, right? So it's just allowed me to explore countless new opportunities. It's allowed me to spend more time with my kids and my wife. And it's just been like a magical little blessing. And I know that I'm going to look back next year when we do have the conference and I'm going to say, wow, look at all these new things that it made possible. Like I'm working on some some stuff that's not yet you know, public, but it's exciting because I'm a strong believer that when you cut a branch off of your tree, so to speak, it allows the energy of that tree to go into all sorts of new places and new things you know, because that energy and that electricity, if you will, or that that money or that whatever time can be invested in new opportunities. And man, there's just a whole flood of them that are coming as a result of not being able to have the conference. So we're looking forward to to seeing you and everyone else who's used to coming in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. And, and that's exciting. You know, it's funny you mentioned that analogy. We had Kevin from Epic Gardening on the channel and he advised me with my new strawberry plants because I've been getting into gardening. That's one of the blessings that I've found since the pandemic happened was gardening from home. He said, if you plant strawberries, when you get those little white flowers that will become strawberries, snip them off, like get them out of there because you want all the energy to be used to create more leaves and cover more ground, which can give you more strawberries later. There you go. And it's just, like literally last week. And I was like, oh, this is really hard. And I think decisions like this in our business is really hard to do, but it's all for the future because I know we're all playing the long game, but I also know for the short game, a lot of people are missing the opportunity that they had at in-person conferences to connect with each other, to get real-time feedback, have real-time conversations. And this is exactly where Clubhouse has been able to come in and fill in a great hole. And you were the first person to introduce me and a few of our friends to Clubhouse How did you know? Like, how did, like, you were so early on it. And typically I'm like, "Uh, I don't want to get involved with these new things because there's so many of them coming out. And you are that way too, but you just kind of grabbed onto this. How did you know Clubhouse was going to be something to pay attention to when you first saw it? Well, you know, I've been in the social media industry since 2008, 2009, when I started Social Media Examiner, but I've also been an entrepreneur since the mid 90s. And you kind of know something is going to be hot when you start to see a series of things like firing on all cylinders. One of the things that I noticed that Clubhouse, and I got in around December 5th, one of the things that I noticed was it was extremely sticky, which meant you didn't want to leave. Just like you don't want to leave an event, right? Like Pat, you have an amazing event or you had one, right? And nobody wants to leave. If you can create some sort of an experience that people just are willing to like lose time in, 
that is something that is a very powerful signal. And that was one of the first things I noticed is that this was a very fun place, especially for people that thrive on interaction, especially for extroverts, which I happen to be. So I just started to notice that. And then I started to kind of be a student of what was in there. And I noticed this was this really exciting thing. And I just ended up writing an article in early December that was titled, I think, Why Clubhouse Might Be the Next Big Social Platform. Now, I don't know if me writing that triggered a series of things for Clubhouse. I'm sure it did because I emailed it to all of our subscribers. But even if I wasn't there and I didn't write that, I don't think things would have changed too much for Clubhouse because most people that went on there found it amazing. There was a reason why people like you and me and Lewis were spending our evenings on there, right? Because it was actually fun. It was exciting, right? It was really fun. And for those who maybe have heard about Clubhouse but don't know exactly what it is yet, now that we've had a number of months to have with it, how would you best explain Clubhouse to anyone who's listening? Well, if you're familiar with live video, right, which most everybody is, you go live on Facebook or Instagram, it's the exact same thing, except it's just audio. Some people are using the phrase social audio, which I like a lot. And what makes it fascinating is the fact that, boy, the best way to describe it is like talk radio, I think, Pat. I've heard someone else recently call it like the equivalent of talk radio, where anybody can start up a room, create a topic, and then invite people up to talk about it. But what's different about Clubhouse is that you can choose who you want to bring up on the stage. You can look at the people in the audience or the people that have raised their hands and you can read their bio and select the ones that you want instead of a traditional talk show where you have a pre-screener, right? Who looks at every person and what's your question before they bring them up on the stage. So it really is, it's like a talk show, but it's so much more than that. I'm sure we could add a lot to it, but what do you think about that phrase? Like, it's like a talk show almost. It's totally like a talk show, but with an audience, like there. And to me, Clubhouse is like a virtual, it's almost like a virtual conference in, in my opinion, because it, I mean, they literally call the main area like the hallway and you go into the hallway and then you see different rooms. And when you're going into these rooms, I mean, some of them start at certain times, some of them people start ad hoc, but there's conversations already happening. There's literally a stage at the top of the screen in those rooms and there's an audience where people can come in quietly, come in and sit and listen. They could raise their hand to potentially come up the stage or you could quietly leave. And it just is so interesting because almost every topic is spoken about now. I'm even in a number of Clubhouse conversations a lot related to Pokemon now, which is funny. It's just like, it, it started in the sort of business startup space and now it's kind of transcended into everything. It's, it's just so cool. Can I double down on that? I love the idea that it's like a conference, like a big conference where you're walking down the hall and you're seeing all these eclectic different rooms that you can walk into. But what makes it different than a conference is that sometimes there's 20 or 30 people up on the stage. That's what makes it different. And that's the part that's hard for a lot of people to wrap their head around, right? So you've usually got moderator or a couple of moderators that are in charge and are facilitating a dialogue between lots of different individuals. And that's what makes it really fascinating and social is that anyone, if they happen into a room where Pat is up on the stage with other people, could raise their hand and could be allowed to ask Pat and other people that are up on the stage a question and might be able to remain up on the stage. That's what adds a really fascinating social dynamic to it. In addition, anyone can make a room. You don't have to be like pre-selected by the conference people. Anyone can create a club, right? And this is where it's a little bit like, Facebook pages meets Facebook groups, right? And that's where it gets really, really fascinating is that, you know, when you create a club, it's kind of like your own little private group 
which can be public or private. And your profile is kind of like your Facebook profile. And you can host rooms just on your profile or you can host them for your club. And that's where it starts to get really dynamic when we start thinking about all the possible business applications. Yeah, and I do want to talk about like, okay, well, what does this actually do for us? But I, I do want to mention that there was a moment where, and some of you might remember this, where Elon Musk actually had come onto Clubhouse, which was a huge deal. And there were several rooms and they reached like the room limit. So there were some bleed over rooms and it was just really neat and fascinating. I actually got in the room with Elon Musk and although it was virtual, although he was on the stage talking with the people who were interviewing him and I was in the audience, I, I didn't have a chance to ask him a question. It still almost felt like I was there with him because it was in real time. And he was asking the founder of Robinhood, an app that at the time had done some not so great things for their investors. He asked some really hard questions. And it was just like, I was, man, I really felt like I was there in person. I had another chance to with a room that Daryl Eves started about YouTube and he had brought Mr. Beast on Jimmy. And I actually got a chance to ask Jimmy a question. And that, it's like in real time, and I was at home, or I think I might've been at Target. It's just insane. So it has that like ability for you to be involved, but also the passive nature of consumption, like with a podcast, unlike a video. Or yeah, a that's a key part, right? So because some people are like, well, why couldn't you have just done that with live video? And he could have, right, Elon? Or Daryl could have done that with live video. But the difference is that you can close your phone and listen to it like a podcast, which you cannot do with video. And that's what's cool about it. And the other side of it is you don't have to be camera ready, right? Which makes it really yeah, easy true. for anybody to just pop into the app and listen to it. It's really like a live podcast in that regard. That's so true. So for the business owners, entrepreneurs here who are listening, okay, a new social app, cool, cool way to connect, audio only, I get it. What could this ultimately do for us? What is the results that we get from it? Yeah. First of all, it's an awesome way for you to connect with your audience. And this is really important. Anybody who understands marketing understands that people transact with you when they know you and they like you and they trust you. And Pat, you're a podcaster. You've got multiple podcasts. I have multiple podcasts. That is a on-demand one-way medium. This is a two-way medium. Just like you said earlier, you felt like you were there in the room with Elon. You can't feel that way when you're listening to a podcast. So this connects that kind of relationship that normally only happens at a conference. You start to get to know people and interact with people that are up on the stage, not the Elon Musk of the world, but the everyday people. And all of a sudden, these people get to know you and they begin to check you out more and they begin to talk about you. And this is really, really important marketing angle. I also know it leads a lot of small businesses into business opportunity because when you click on someone's profile, whether you're speaking on the stage or not, People are on Clubhouse for a long time and they got nothing better to do than to stare at their screen. So they start clicking on these profiles and they check these people out and then they click over on Instagram or Twitter and they start private messaging these people. Hey, tell me more about what you do. And it's a great way to generate leads. It's a great way to discover talent. If you're looking for great talent on your podcast, it's also a great way to experiment with new content ideas. So if you are a video person like you are, Pat, or me, or you're a podcaster and you want to try out a couple of topics to see if there's an audience or your audience is interested in this, these aren't recorded, right? So this is a great way to see whether there's resonance. And if there is, maybe that's a signal, a research signal that you could do more of the costly content, right? Which is the video, for example. Just a couple thoughts. No, those are great. And th those are exactly why I use the platform as well for connections. So the ability for if I hear somebody on stage, I don't even need to be on the stage with them. Every profile has or 
if people set it up correctly, it has also their Twitter and Instagram profile. So I can't privately message somebody inside of Clubhouse, but I can easily click on their Instagram profile and then send them a direct message and might say something like, hey, I really loved when you talked about this or hey, what you said was really interesting. I have somebody who I know can help you and I can start to build a relationship and actually provide value in that way. And I've noticed it on the other end. When I'm on stage, I start sharing some knowledge. I often get a barrage of messages from people who are looking to connect. And some of those are obviously people who are in it for themselves and other people are in it to help me. And and I appreciate that. And so definitely utilizing the bios and the profiles to go and make connections is huge. I love Clubhouse for exactly what you said, which was experimentation. To go in in a live setting just to get some immediate feedback, to share a little story or a presentation type thing and then get people to ask questions about it, that helps me fill in the gaps for the blog post I'm gonna write or the podcast episode I'm gonna do more formally or even the questions that need to be answered when I'm gonna eventually make that course or write that book. I mean, wow, what an amazing opportunity to sort of take all this knowledge that other people have, put it into a room and then be able to utilize that. Yeah, there's just, it's kind of a blank slate. Whatever you can imagine is possible. That's kind of crazy. Like we've seen, you know, people do musicals on there, which I don't know if you saw it, but I saw it. I didn't see the musical. Yeah, there's been musicals. Uh, Yeah, it was, uh, what's the, the Lion King musical was on there. And then there's also been comedy shows on there. There's been morning news shows. Anything you could possibly imagine, you know, that you can do with your voice could be done on the platform. That's cool. What are some business specific applications that you've seen people do? Yeah, let me tell you what I do because I think that's the easiest one. So every Saturday morning, typically at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, I go live on Clubhouse and I invite a couple of people from my world and we have a topic. For example, last weekend, I invited Mari Smith and I invited Jay Bear. And we talked about marketing trends and we had 200 some people in the room. I spent the first 30 minutes asking them a couple of questions. Like each of them, I asked, what's a big marketing trend that you see going on? And then I added my voice in there. And then I say, what's a threat? And then at about the 30 minute mark, I brought up people from the audience and we went for another hour and we just answered Q&A. Everybody had an amazing experience. It got tweeted all over the place. Jay and Mari thought it was an amazing experience because it was just kind of serendipitously the majority of it. We had no idea what was going to happen because we were bringing up people from the audience. But it was a magical experience. And I've been doing this every single week since December. And it started up a new show. And it's something I do for fun on Saturday mornings when my family's sleeping. So, And what does it do for my business? Well, it, it allows me to show up more for my business, right? Because most of the content I produce is not live. It's pre-recorded, right? And this just gives me a great chance to like try out stuff. And it gives me an opportunity to try out new talent. I have discovered new people on this platform that have come on my podcast and are speaking at some of my online upcoming events that we have going on. So I use it really to just get myself out there a little bit more and to watch trends also. I notice when news breaks, sometimes people go on there and spin up a room so I can go on there and see what are people talking about and get a kind of the, kind of the pulse of the industry. Wow. That's another huge factor for sure. Let's talk about our friend Cliff. Yes. Cliff is another amazing user of Clubhouse. He's in a mastermind group with us and he's been on the show many times before. Cliff Ravenscraft. Yep. Just Cliff Ravenscraft. He uses it and he doesn't get hundreds of people into his rooms, but it's just as valuable. In fact, he's told us a couple stories in the mastermind groups about moments where he's had just like four or five people in there, but then he's making these incredible connections on a very personal level, which again, like you said earlier, couldn't happen if it was just a one-way conversation on a podcast, right? Yeah, and he's a coach. 
So I see a lot of coaches, a lot of consultants, and a lot of agency owners going on there and just sharing insight and wisdom, knowing full well that some of the people in the room would be just like if they spoke at an event, right? When you when you sell yourself as a knowledge expert and you go to an event, you do it so that you might pick up some clients, right? So a lot of these people are doing the exact same thing, but they're doing it on Clubhouse. I've also seen people when they're in launch sequence, they'll bring people on Clubhouse. Like I'm going to be part of a Clubhouse room tonight that's related to TikTok. And I'm one of like seven or eight panelists that are going to be part of this two-hour thing. And this person is launching a new TikTok course. So there's a lot of ways that you can just kind of use it as an alternative to live video because it is does have that coolness factor to it. Now we should state as of this recording, it is only iOS. So soon it will be open to the world, but right now it's restricted only to Apple customers. Right, right, right. By the way, is that TikTok course from Kenya? Yeah, Kenya Kelly, exactly. Kenya, yes, Kenya's awesome. She was here on the show talking about TikTok and Reels not too long ago. So everybody go check out that episode. We'll put it in the show notes. I'm glad to mention her. She's awesome. And by the way, you know, like Kenya, I knew because I had her on my podcast, but I got to know her really well because of Clubhouse. And I also think Clubhouse is one of those magical things where you get to reconnect with old friends that you maybe haven't seen in a while because the social platforms repress them. You know, like you might be active on social platform X or Y, but you're just not seeing the stuff from your friends that used to be really close to. And all of a sudden you're on Clubhouse and you see, oh, so-and-so's on Clubhouse. And Derek Halpern reached out to me because we saw that we were both on Clubhouse and we started messaging each other. So it's just, it's just, there's so many levels of dynamics that you can do with Clubhouse that are kind of hard to wrap your brain around, frankly. There's a lot for sure and a lot more coming. The founders are very, very open and honest and authentic and open with sharing what's coming. It's It's been really cool. They have these town halls every Sunday, I think, with what's coming and what the news is inside of Clubhouse. 9 a.m. Pacific every Sunday. See, look at that. Perfect. So for people who are listening who are like, okay, I want to get in. Where do I even begin? What should I focus on to start utilizing this platform in the best way possible? Or maybe Android users, once it opens up, how do we best utilize this fast? Okay. Step one is if you're starting from total scratch, I have a couple of YouTube videos on my YouTube channel that will help keep bringing you up to speed because you have to kind of, it's got a little bit of a learning cycle, but I think it's socialmediaexaminer.com slash CH. Maybe you could test that out, Pat, while we're talking and just see if that pops sure, I'll up. Test right now. But there's two different videos that I did. Each one's about 15 minutes long, which will kind of help you understand how the whole ecosystem works. But in the beginning, you want to poke around and you want to understand the culture of the platform. One thing you should know is that it's not a platform where you just get up and you start pitching yourself. And so, for example, if you're in a room and you raise your hand and you get brought up, you don't want to say, hey, everybody, my name is Pat Flynn and I'm the world's top expert in smart passive income and I've got this blah, blah, blah. That's just not going to be looked good upon because your bio is supposed to do that. Everybody clicks on your bio. So instead, you just want to ask a great question or provide a valuable tip. You have to be patient on the platform because typically you're in rooms where there's a lot of people up on the stage and it might take a while for someone to get to you. So, you know, if you don't have time, it might be something you want to proceed with caution. I would recommend you spend at least a week or a couple of weeks just trying out what it's like to go into different rooms. Some are going to be absolutely garbage, but remember, it's the same on all the platforms, right? If you go into some groups, they're garbage on Facebook. If you go into some YouTube channels, they're horrible. You want to look for the good ones. If you want a really good one, you should check out mine because I've been like refining my craft for like four or five months. But look what others are doing. And then once you get to the point where you're ready to get into a room, I've got some tips I can add as well. 
in a minute, in a minute, because number one, socialmediaexaminer.com slash CH does work. So go there. And number two, very important before you start getting involved, we need to doctor up our profile. It is so important on Clubhouse. And it's interesting because I didn't think it was going to be important because on all these other social media platforms, it's like, you know, the bio on Twitter, the bio on Instagram. It's like, okay, I mean, you only have so much room to work with. No, this is like so important on Clubhouse. Do you have two or three tips for how to make our profile stand out? Yeah. First of all, it's search indexable on the platform. So you want to bulk some of those keywords right up front. It's funny because like my name is Michael Stelzner, but I go by Mike a lot. And some people on the platform were searching for Mike Stelzner and they couldn't find me because my name is Michael. So what I did was I wrote social media marketing geek, Mike Stelzner founded social media examiner. So what I did there is I kind of created a keyword thing there, right? Because I had social media examiner and my other first name, not Michael, but Mike, so that when people were searching for me, they could find it or when they were searching for social media examiner. People use emojis a lot. I don't know if you did this, Pat, but emojis help and you can paste those emojis in there. There's an article on Social Media Examiner, which I will look up in a minute. There's a lot of cool tools that you can use to help you with your picture and also with your bio on the platform. There's a whole ecosystem of third-party tools, just like there has been with Twitter in the early days. I think it's wise to put topics that interest me into your bio because it sends a signal when you're in a room that, hey, maybe they ought to bring you up on stage. Because remember, when you raise your hand and you're in a room, you're not the only one that's raised your hand. And the moderators get to choose who they bring up on the stage. And as long as your bio and your picture seem to match, well, that's very important. You can change your bio, by the way. You can have different bio. Pat, you can have the Pokemon bio when you go into Pokemon rooms. And you can have the business bio when you go into business rooms and you can swap them. You just have to paste them in and out. Yeah, I do that because when people start to hear you on stage, they're going to click on your profile to learn more about you. Or you might even have people check out your profile before bringing you on stage because they want to make sure it's going to be a good fit. So you really want to make sure it works. Starting your bio at the top, remember you have a little bit of room before a person has to click to then see the rest of it. So make sure that first sentence is something related to what people are going to be interested in. If you just make it all about yourself up front, it can kind of work against you. And I love to use the bottom part of my bio for more personality stuff. Like I even mentioned that I'm like the number one Back to the Future fan and like all these kinds of things that are about me that no, aren't at the top, but make me seem more human and personal. Yeah, and don't forget to connect those Twitter and Instagram accounts because yes, like we yes. mentioned earlier, they can't private message you if you, if you don't have that connected. If you Google 20 plus clubhouse tools for marketers, you're going to find a really good article we wrote at Social Media Examiner that has a bazillion cool little tools that makes it easy for you to kind of jack up your profile in a good way. So that might be something useful for everyone who's listening. Cool. I like it. And you have a lot of room to work with, like way more than really any other platform. So yeah, exactly. Because most platforms, you have like 200 characters if you're lucky. This is like a, practically a blog post if you want it. Yeah, essentially. Okay, now let's talk about getting into rooms and how do we, like what's the etiquette in there? How do we maximize our efforts, you know, and show up? Okay, first really important thing is when you raise your hand is to hit the mute button when they bring you up on stage because this is not intuitive for a lot of people, right? So if you're brought up on stage, don't say, oh, I gotta go to the stage. I mean, how many times have you been in the room where that's happened, right? Like, Every time I go to a clubhouse. Yeah, I, I so, so be aware that you're unmuted when you're brought up on the stage and don't drop any crazy, you know, language. Other best practices are just to wait your turn, 
right? Because just because you're brought up on stage doesn't mean you're going to be next. Sometimes you can just leave, you know, like I've been brought up on the stage and I haven't been called on in a period of time and I just, I got to go. And sometimes you have to understand in some rooms, they're bringing you up on the stage just because they're trying to get a lot of people up on the stage. Other cases, they're bringing you up on the stage because they call you out. So if you're someone who's known in a particular industry and you go into a room, someone might say, hey, Pat Flynn's in the room. You've had that happen, right, Pat? Yeah. We'd love you to come up. You will get invited on the stage. You're not just like randomly put there, but like it'll be like, oh, Michael Stelzner is inviting you to be a speaker. Yeah, and you can accept it or deny it, and it's totally cool. What else? What am I forgetting here? That's the basics, you know, when you're when you're just in someone else's room. We can talk about what it's like to spin up your own room if you want to, because there's a lot of cool stuff. Oh, one other thing you might want to do. If somebody prearranges with you to, to co-host a room with you, which a lot of people do. I've done this with you. You've probably done this with others, Pat. This is where you can do something really kind of cool, which is to pin something in your Twitter stream. So for example, if you know you're going to be in a room and you want to mention a cool video or resource that you've created, you can say, hey, everybody, I've pinned it over on Twitter because there's no links inside of Clubhouse. And there's no easy way to do this except for pinning a tweet. And this is really, really valuable because it's super easy to just go on Twitter and pin and unpin a tweet. If you know you're going to be in a room, you could say, hey, I've got a, and you are one of the main attractions of that room, you could just simply have whatever you want pinned up as a tweet. And that way, nobody needs to type in any URLs at all. They can just click on that tweet and they're off to the races. I like that. I like that a lot. How does one who maybe is a little bit more shy or introverted get a chance to speak when there are loads of people and there's just a lot of, I don't know, alphas in the room. Don't go into those rooms is my advice to you in the beginning if you want to speak, right? Because start out by going into the rooms with just a few people. If you're really just experimenting, right? Or reach out to a couple of your friends and say, hey, let's do a room together so you're not all by yourself. That's what I would recommend because it is overwhelming. And then you can take turns instead of like, because sometimes I'm in a room and you know I'm a little bit more shy. So I have to be like, oh, and and wait, can I talk really quick? Can I answer that question? And then I'll like have the room sort of silence so that I can talk. That's the hard part about this is we can't see each other. So we can't signal like, okay, I'm next or you're next or whoever. Sometimes that's a little bit different. Well, I've come up with a cool strategy on that if you want. Here's what I tell everybody. When you are working with a, a, a couple of your friends, what you do is you just tell them to mute and unmute for a couple of seconds. Because when you unmute, it shows a little... I forget what that symbol is, but there's some sort of a mute symbol that disappears temporarily when you unmute. What I do is whenever I'm hosting a room with a couple of my friends, if they want to say something, I just tell them to mute, I mean, to unmute for a couple of seconds because etiquette, this is important to always mute yourself when you're on the stage, when you're not talking. That's what is expected. And that's really important. We should have mentioned that earlier. But when you want to say something, if you unmute for like three seconds and mute yourself, most good moderators will know that there's a signal there that that so-and-so wants to say something. And if they're really paying attention, then they're going to say, hey, Jane, did you have something you wanted to add? And another thing you can do is applaud, right? And that's applause is something fun. You just unmute and mute yourself very, very rapidly. But these are kind of like little things that have become cultural norms in the ecosystem of Clubhouse in the same way hashtags in the beginning on Twitter were not a cultural norm and then eventually became a cultural norm. Right. Perfect. That's a great solution. I think, you know, start another room and then, yeah, let's talk about starting your own room. Like, how does one do that and make sure it's set up properly so that we can get the most out of it? There's two ways to spin up a room. Number one is the, I'm just going to click the room button on the bottom and start up a room and just hope somebody shows up. That is the riskier way to do it. But if you've 
you know, if you're in a mood where you just want to try it out, nobody might show up, somebody might show up. The better way is to schedule a room. And if you schedule a room, you just click on the calendar icon at the top of the app and you can pick a date and a time. You can title it however you want. You can retitle it later. You can change the description of it. And then what's cool is when you schedule a room, Pat, you're given a link. And when you're given that link, you can share that out to your friends. You can add them as co-moderators in the room or co-speakers. You can share that link on social platforms. You can email that link to your friends, your customers, your prospects. I prefer everybody schedule a room because I just, it also gives you more exposure in the app because people, some people will see that room on the calendar under the for you section where they would never, ever see it maybe in the hallway. Have you ever scheduled a room, Pat? I have. Have you ever spun up a room spontaneously? I have done that too. You get way more people if you pre-schedule it. Yeah. It's the scheduling of the room that, that allows you to do all these cool things. Also, I think what happens when you schedule a room, it forces you to go, okay, well, what is this really going to be about? What do I want to talk about? You add it into the little description. And that just helps make the topic and the discussion much more clean, much more precise for people who either come in knowing it's going to be there or they find it sort of randomly. Here's the thing. (laughs) When you start up a room, if nobody's there, you don't need to talk. This is not like live video where you (laughs) act like people are there. I went into Guy Kawasaki's very first room and he was dead silent. He couldn't even figure out how to unmute himself. So I ended up like messaging him and then I ended up spinning up a room with him, kind of helping him understand how it all works. And now Guy just goes with ask me anything rooms. And Cliff, our friend Cliff Ravenscraft has does, done this as well. And he just uses it as a, as a way to just interact with his audience and do fun stuff. But Guy is definitely someone who's not shy, you know what I mean? And is willing to just do whatever comes his way. But yeah, I would definitely schedule a room. You can always change the schedule. You can always remove the room. And I think that's the best way to get started. And then I would also think about like, all right, what are some basic things that I can do as people come into the room? Some of the basic things you want to do is in the beginning, welcome people into the room as they just show up. Hey, Jack. Hey, Jill. Welcome. We're super excited you're here. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. You don't want a lot of dead airtime, just like you don't when you're live on you know, a social media platform because people have choices and they might've just popped into the room because they saw you were live or they got a notification. So the moment people start showing up in the room, what you could do is say, this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Clubhouse. And by the way, do me a favor and you can tell them to hit that plus sign at the bottom of the room and you can tell them to share it out on the socials or to invite their friends in. And it's really easy to do that. And you just tell them, hit that plus sign, and then they'll see some options where they can share it out. And then what you can do is just kind of kill a little bit of time, but not a lot of time. Like you want to get started pretty quickly. And ideally, you just start telling people, hey, it's just me today. And I would love you to raise your hand if you're interested in coming up on stage and asking a few questions. What I'm going to do is ask you all to meet yourself. I'm going to go in the order that you raised your hand. And I'm going to politely send you back to the audience uh, when you're done asking your question. You know, and you can easily send anybody up on the stage back to the audience. Or you could say, hey, Pat, you've provided so much value. I'd love you to stick around. We both have experienced this, right? Where you've been in a room and you just asked a question, but they loved your response a little bit and they and they offered you the opportunity to stick around, you know, and that's the kind of serendipitous nature of Clubhouse. Be prepared. It's really hard to end a room. <laughs> yeah, what's the longest room you've ever done? Probably about three hours. I know that's on the lower end of what people How about have the done. shortest room you've ever done? <laughs> Probably 10 minutes. Really? Is it because nobody was there? It was because I had to go, honestly. Oh, okay. 
you started a room and you shut it down 10 minutes later? Yeah, I left because I had an emergency, but uh, okay. people who were there who were on stage were, and I'm very grateful for this, they took over. I, I offered them moderation and then they kept it and I wasn't able to come back in, but it was still open for another hour after that, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's hard to do a clubhouse room in less than an hour unless you're super intentional because once you start getting into the flow and the conversation starts flowing, there's going to be so many people that have questions. I tend to try to keep it to 90 minutes max just because I don't want it to take up my whole day. But I've been in rooms for three or four hours and it's crazy. But the good news about Clubhouse is as long as you've got other people up on the stage, you could be eating food while someone else is talking. You could be using the restroom. You could say, hey, Jane, you're in charge. I'll be back in 15 minutes. I got to deal with something. I've got somebody at the front door, you know, or you could just private message them off the platform. That's what's really cool about it is that you could do a lot of cool stuff with it. You could use nice podcasting equipment, by the way. We should probably mention that for all our podcaster friends. You can hook your roadcaster into it. Yeah, I I use my uh, AirPods just because I'm usually on the go when I'm doing a clubhouse situation. But you're right. You can use your Rodecaster Pro. You can plug it in and go through Bluetooth and, and whatever. We won't get into the technicalities of that, but you can get super pro with it too, which begs the question. I do want to cover the idea of moderating a room with multiple speakers. How do we do that? Our good friend Mark Mason is like super pro at that. I know you are too. But I do want to ask you about recording. You'd mentioned that these things are not recorded, but what if a person wanted to repurpose some of these conversations? Are they allowed to? What's okay or not okay? Yeah, here's what the terms of service say. If you get permission from everybody who's up on the stage, you can record. So here's what you can do. You can pre-arrange a panel and tell everybody, hey, are you okay with me recording? And then what you do is you stop recording once you do the live Q&A. When you do that, nobody needs to know you were ever recording. What other people do is they'll put the word recording and they'll put like a red dot up in the title. And then they'll every few minutes remind people, do not raise your hand unless you're willing to be recorded, right? So that's, that's one way to do it. I would say most people don't record what's on the platform because it's not easy to record what's on the platform you would have to have a roadcaster to, be, to do it easily. The app warns you that you're violating terms of service, you know, if you do record. So you just have to be careful. You don't want your account to be shut down. But if you plug it into a roadcaster, which again is technical, there's no way for them to know that you're actually recording it. I like the idea of generally not recording, but there are some circumstances where I want to record. Like I created an article and I was sourcing content from the article and I wanted to be able to properly quote everybody I interviewed. So I told them that I was recording. So that's just, my take on what you should do. But I don't think the founders, I've heard that the founders are thinking of adding a recording feature, but I don't know exactly where they're at and, and if that's going to happen. Yeah, true. And there's other plans too, like a, a tip jar or a place for people who are in the audience to offer sort of like a super chat on YouTube or something where, you know, the audience can. Now that has already rolled out. Oh, that has rolled out. That has rolled out. Oh, no way. And you can go under your profile and you can just turn on like accept money and then you connect your your Stripe account and then people can tip you. I don't know if you remember, but Cliff made his first five bucks or whatever because somebody somebody did that. Oh, that's right. But yeah, it has rolled out to a lot of people. I don't think the brand new people on the platform, like if you sign up today, you're not going to get it today. You go into your personal profile, you click on the gear and in the upper right hand corner, I think it, I'd have to look up exactly what the words are, but it says like money or something like that. But yeah, it's called payments. Yeah, that's what it's called. And it looks like you have to connect like a Stripe account or something. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I don't know if you have to set up a personal Stripe or use your business, but yeah, Stripe is what's the payment processor. And what's cool is 100% of the revenue is going to the creators. Oh, that's neat. The person that tips pays a transaction fee. So kind of like on 
you know, these other event brights and stuff where it's like, if you want to give five bucks then you're going to pay slightly more than five bucks to cover the transaction fee. That's cool. Cause I know on YouTube, for example, super chat, YouTube takes 30% of that, which is huge. Yeah. So people can make good money potentially. I'm not there for that, but some people, it could be a really powerful opportunity for them to make some money. Huh. I mean, I'm also think, thinking about, you know, charity related events. There you go. Things like that could be really cool and exciting. Okay, awesome. Oh, well, let's talk about to finish up, you know, moderating a room. You know, when you get not just you up on stage, but a few other people, it can get out of control. How does one best moderate a room full of speakers? First, control who is a moderator. I like to be the only moderator in the room. And or if I'm going to make someone else a moderator, we're going to agree ahead of time. I'm going to be the one that's going to make the decisions about who comes up on the stage and who doesn't come up on the stage. Because rooms can get rapidly out of control if you have a lot of different moderators because they all have the same powers, which is to mute and unmute people, to bring them up on the stage and to send them off the stage. So the first thing is to just agree who's going to be the kind of person in, in charge. The second thing is to kind of set the ground rules. Typically at the start of any room, I would say, all right, everybody, this is how this is going to work. I'm going to ask a question. We're going to round robin it, or I'm going to call your name. And I would love you to answer the question. And if you have something to add, just unmute yourself for a couple seconds and I'll, and I'll watch for it. That just allows a really nice, fluid experience for the audience. The cool stuff you can do as a moderator is you can do polls. You can say, hey, everybody who's here in the room, I just would love to bring all of you back that are out walking, pull out your phone real quick because, you know, you can remember you can, this is like a podcast almost, right? And pull up the app, raise your hand right now if you happen to have a podcast. Let's say we're doing a room on podcasting. Boom. Okay. Looks like a third of you happen to have a podcast. All right, everybody lower your hands and then we get right back to it. So that's a fun little interactive thing you can do with the audience. You can also turn hand raising on and off to reset that room, which is kind of fun. Other things that you can do is, you know, when people come up on the stage, remember to send them back to the audience. That just keeps that stage kind of light because when there's I mean, you've experienced this when there's like 30 or 40 people on the stage, it's impossible to manage it because you can only see like the first 12 people. Yeah, it gets crazy. <laughs> After that, it's just like you have to scroll and it's just a nightmare. I don't even like to go into rooms where I can see that there's a lot of people up on the stage because I just know it's going to be completely out of control. So those are the things you may want to every like 10 or 15 minutes, watch how many people are coming into the room and just say, hey, for those of you that are new, I'm going to do a quick room reset. This is what we're talking about today. This is what we've covered. This is where we're going. It's also best practice to encourage people to follow the, the guests that are up on the stage. Hey, everybody, if you're not already following so-and-so, follow them. You can also say, hey, if you're not following the Social Media Examiner Club, which is my club, click on the Green Monopoly House and follow us. And we should mention that anybody can start a club after they've been on the app for about two weeks and people can follow a club or they can be members of a club and they could also follow you. So you have to decide you know, if you want to try to encourage people with a call to action to follow you, you probably want them to follow the club because it's called Clubhouse and really the key to the entire thing is the clubs. Right. And again, there's a lot more information over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash CH. Those videos are really great. I think it's really smart also linking to a playlist, Mike. Just a little side comment. I like that idea. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, dude, there's so there's I mean, we could probably talk for another two hours about strategies and, and tactics. But if you were to sum up for people who are now excited about Clubhouse, just a reminder for them, you know, the Clubhouse app, I know, can be very addicting. And maybe a warning, if you will, or or just, you know, from your expert level, having done this for a while, what should people look out for or beware of if they're going to get involved? Okay, well, the evenings and the weekends are the best time to actually do Clubhouse because it's mostly a working person's experience right now. 
So most of the people on Clubhouse are actually, they have jobs. So in the evenings and on the weekends are, are the best time to experience the best content on Clubhouse. And it's also potentially the time where your spouse or kids may never see you again. <laughs> right. So just monitor yourself and tell your family, hey, are you guys okay? It's like, instead of watching a movie tonight, I'm going to go try out Clubhouse. And give yourself a limit. You know, just say, I'm only going to be on here for a little while. Just know full well, you might have so much fun that you don't want to, you don't want to leave. And that's kind of the key to the entire thing. In addition, if you really want to make Clubhouse part of your business strategy, just like all social platforms, you're going to need to drive people to your room. Okay. So in the beginning, you might have, you know, and, and as the app grows and as the app has algorithms and stuff, it's just going to get harder and harder for random people to show up in your room. So you have to think of this just like you do a podcast or just like you do a live stream. You're going to want to let your tribe know about it. And you're going to want to give them opportunities to basically show up and be part of it. And that's going to be the key because in the beginning, you're not going to have a lot of people, but maybe you don't need a lot of people. So just properly set your expectations that that you could get sucked into other people's rooms. And when you get started with your own rooms, there might not be a lot of people there in the beginning, but over time, it might really take off for you. I love that. And like you said, remember, it's about the people, it's about the connections, your self-awareness in, in terms of how you use the app. And it's it can be a slow start, but it can definitely pay dividends. It's been really, really nice to connect with people and even old friends again on the platform, but it has helped with business. It has helped with business and it could help you too. So Mike, thank you so much for this. Where should people go besides the Clubhouse link that we shared earlier to discover more and to get excited about what you have going on next? Yeah. So I would say if you're already on Clubhouse, follow Social Media Examiner. And if you go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash the letter Q, that's where you will find the calendar and the ability to ask questions when you're in a live room with me. I use a cool little tool called Zealous. And you can kind of see what shows I have on the horizon and you can get them on your calendar and come experience how I use it. And then if people want to follow me, I mean, if they want to message me on Instagram, I'm at Stelzner, S-T-E-L-Z-N-E-R. And I should say that we have a ton of content on our YouTube channel and also on Social Media Examiner. So if you really want to understand how this new social audio thing works, you know, it's, it's an easy place to go and kind of get yourself rapidly educated. So good. Man, that was excellent. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you and look forward to connecting with you on our next probably mastermind call. <laughs> My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Pat. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mike from Social Media Examiner. Again, if you want to check out those links, all the links that were mentioned are on the show notes page at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 493. And if you are on Clubhouse already, socialmediaexaminer.com slash Q. And also just say hello to Mike at at Stelzner on Instagram and he'll say hello back. So, wow, I hope you enjoyed this episode. A lot of tactics, a lot of strategies and a lot of very practical advice for those of us who are gonna be using Clubhouse. And even if down the road, Clubhouse maybe, I don't know, gets acquired or shuts down or something, audio social or social audio like this is here to stay. And whether it's Facebook or the Twitter version of this or a different one that comes about, uh, a lot of these etiquettes and practices will remain for sure, because it's just like how it is in person, just done online instead. So, and Mike, of course, is very knowledgeable in the world of events. And so socialmediaexaminer.com. Thank you, Mike, appreciate you. Thank you for listening in all the way through. I appreciate that. And I look forward to serving you next week. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Big thank you to everybody who's left a review recently. Thank you so much. And until next week, I'll see you later. Keep rocking it. Peace out. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. 
Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income podcast at smartpassiveincome.com. I'm your host, Pat Flynn. Sound design and editing by Paul Gregoris. Our senior producer is Sarah Jane Hess. Our series producer is David Grabowski. And our executive producer is Matt Gartland. The Smart Passive Income podcast is a production of SPI Media. We'll catch you in the next session. Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. It's Wednesday, June 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Rounding out the week. Ross Anderson, Certified Financial Planner, co-founder of Craftwork Capital. He is also the co-host of the weekly podcast, Check Your Balances. And he joins me now from his home in Northern Virginia. Good to see you, my friend. Great to see you, Chris. Good to be back on the show. It's been a little while. It has been a little while. Um, and, and why don't we start there? Because this was, this was something you had mentioned to me, um, which made me do a, l- a little bit of a double take. Um, because you worked at The Motley Fool for about six years. Um, went off to start your own business. And you made the comment that leaving a company is kind of like retirement. Uh, Unpack that for me, please. Well, well, particularly in the version that we did, because a couple of things happened. Like if you go from one job to another, I think you kind of, and not to say that you would completely leave your old community, but you kind of swap your old community for a new one. Right. And you go from these people that you used to spend every day with to a new set of people that you spend every day with and work with. And your income might not change for what we did. Our income went to zero uh, and likely negative for quite a while. Right. We, we were trying to start a business. And so we were going to have to put some capital into it. And so to prepare ourselves for that, that meant having enough cash set aside to deal with a period of short-term needs where where I wasn't expecting to actually earn anything. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, the things that I've been talking for years with people about, making sure that you've got enough cash set aside for these short-term needs, I got to live through that really for the first time. And um, certainly on the social aspect, uh, my partner and I, uh, Dan, we we it's just the two of us. So now that, that bubble of kind of craziness where we used to operate inside this pretty large organization has shifted to, to just the two of us staring at each other every day going, hey, what's going on since yesterday? <laughs> um, let me get to a topic that uh, we rarely, if ever, talk about on this show, and that is income during retirement. Um, uh, I was talking yesterday with Malcolm Etheridge. You know, one of the things we talked about is just the myriad ways that um, investing and financial planning has been turned upside down over the past year plus. Um, there was a a very long stretch of time where the blueprint for what you do with your uh, stocks in your retirement years is pretty clear. You you know you sort of move out of those growth stocks into the blue chip dividend payers, so you have that steady income. What is the state of retirement income now? So right now, I think it's actually a little bit scary. Uh, and, I, and I'm not a doomsdayer by any means, but if you look at the landscape, there's a lot of challenges. So number one, that shift into dividend payers uh, doesn't work like it used to. Dividend yields have been way compressed. Even if you're in a higher dividend yielding portfolio, 
if you're not adding leverage or something, you're probably talking about two and a half to maybe three and a half percent. And that's on the high end right now. You've got bond yields super compressed, right? Your bonds and cash are likely to give you an effective earnings rate after you factor in inflation of zero, if not negative. And so I think you've got a large group of people looking for this income and they're having trouble finding it. And, and so I think as planners, we need to be uh, in some ways really diligent and in some ways a little bit more creative in terms of where we go to generate some retirement income that's either going to be sustainable uh, or or just make people comfortable enough to, to be able to deal with it. Because I don't think the old formula works like it used to. Do you think that we're going to get to a point maybe six months from now or this time next year where companies that are paying dividends and have been for a while start to boost them in a significant way? Because certainly a year ago at this time, one of the big stories in the stock market was companies at every end of the spectrum that were paying dividends were coming out and saying either we're hitting the pause button, we're cutting it, um, we're eliminating it altogether, we'll let you know when it comes back. Um, so it, Obviously, they were all trying to shore up cash, but 6-12 months from now, if things are back to normal, do we, do we start to see an increase? I certainly think that we could see some increases there. And I think a lot of people responded as individuals in the same way, for what it's worth, right? Plenty of households started hoarding cash and took some money maybe off the table that, that was there just to protect themselves. They didn't know if there was going to be long-term periods of unemployment or how bad it was going to be for how long. So I don't think that was irrational for some of these businesses to to worry about that and, and to worry about what they're going to do. I think we could see some dividend increases. Uh, I think you're going to have a couple pressures that that put on that. Some of the labor shortages are, are going to push some wages up, and so they might need to spend more of that cash simply on their workforce, right? So depending on which companies we're talking about, there may be some pressure there. But I, I do think you could see some dividend increases, but I think the prices increase right along with it. And so it continues to be this situation where you can't necessarily go out and just pick a big, fat four and a half, five percent yield in most cases and still get a company that's doing well from a from an appreciation standpoint, that high yield might be indicative of some other problems or maybe the fact that there's slowing growth elsewhere. In terms of the clients uh, that you and Dan are working with, um, and again, don't obviously don't disclose anything. Um, uh, we, we won't name names, don't worry. <laughs> but but I, I am curious, sort of like, what are the types of questions you're getting? What types of concern? Like, is there a theme to either the concern or is it just sort of like, no, this is, this is about um, what we were hearing from uh, people we were doing financial planning for three years ago? Yeah, I, I think some of the buzz questions have definitely changed. We're hearing inflation a lot more, which I, I think is a real one. Um, and, and people are just saying, yeah, this is in the news. You can look at lumber prices and you look at a chart that's absolutely bonkers and you go, wow, what is going to happen in the rest of the market? Do I need to be worried about that? But those are the things that as planners, we think about all the time anyway, right? We've been talking about inflation for many years and 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 clients have said, yeah, 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 okay, I understand that, but I don't know that it's felt that real. So I, I think it's a little bit of a shift in some of the buzzwords, but the core principles really haven't shifted, which is how do you make sure that the money you're gonna be relying on is there for you? How do you make sure that your cash flow is secure and that you're continuing to grow your purchasing power with the rest of the money so that you can deal with things like inflation and that you're not being blindsided by it? Uh, one of the things uh, when I was talking with Malcolm yesterday, uh, he said that uh, surprised me a little bit was the degree to which meme stocks have just 
taken over the conversation um, uh, from people who are uh, of an age group that you wouldn't necessarily think they're spending a lot of time on Reddit. You know, people in their 60s and 70s. Um, one, are you hearing that as well? And two, what goes through your mind when you when you know you're watching CNBC or Bloomberg and you see day after day this coverage of these of these companies that are completely disconnected from their stock prices? The the first thing that comes to mind for me, and I do see this quite a bit. I, I tend to flip on CNBC from time to time, and uh, I'm always just really amused. That that's my first reaction. <laughs> that, and 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 not to sound super flippant about it, but you can see the level of frustration in these anchors' faces when they have to go to talk about AMC again. When it's another day of there's actual things going on in the markets, and this is what we're spending our time talking about. So, uh, as a spectator of that, not somebody that's a particular fan of any of the uh, the core meme stocks but I'm, I'm just super entertained by it and and I, I like that you're kind of seeing this push from people uh, that aren't the mainstream Wall Street crowd that are getting involved that are having a voice whether they're using that voice for good or evil I think the debate's still out but uh, I, I think that's kind of my first spot for it but I'm not hearing as many questions about that as I am things about crypto and, and maybe some of the Kathy Wood stocks, which which tend to be a lot more of the, hey, is this stuff we should be in? Is what you heard a few months back? And then as of this year, it's been a little, uh, I don't know, is is the party over? Um, but but that's definitely more of the, the concern there. Do you think this calms down at all with respect to the meme stocks? Or do you look at this and say, because when this first started with GameStop, I remember thinking to myself, Okay, I think I understand what's happening specifically with GameStop, but I don't see how this is repeatable on a consistent basis. That was at the beginning of the year. Here we are, it's June and we're talking about it. So clearly I was you know, wrong about that. But I, I, I don't know, where, where do you think this goes? Well, I, I th- what it looks like to me from from my cheap seats perspective and, and not somebody that really digs into these Reddit threads or anything, um, but it looks to me like what they're running for is a screen of high concentration positions for hedge funds and then really high short interest. So if you're screening for that, I think that that screen continues to work probably for a while. Uh, and, and you can find companies where you might be able to find this sort of a play. Does, does that continue? Probably as long as the story keeps being interesting. Um, so I, I think you could repeat this pattern. But the key is that I don't think most people in this trade are making money, right? I, I think it's some of the early adopters that are probably making some money and a few people that are having fun being along for the ride. But I don't think that this is consistently profitable for a huge group of people. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I just don't see how it can be. Uh, and, and so at some point, people are going to get frustrated with following along on that story if it doesn't actually start making them some money. So uh, I, I definitely think that's more the risk than it is. Can they find more ideas to do this with? Obviously, you know, home purchases are a major story uh, for all of the obvious reasons. Um, something that, um, you know, obviously less expensive than a home, but certainly a big purchase for a lot of people. This is starting to get more attention over the past few weeks, and that is the automotive market. Um, you've got this combination of the semiconductor chip shortage, uh, supply chain issues. The the major automakers have basically all said, "Yeah, we're we're, we're cranking these things out as fast as we can, but it's it's not going to be as many as everybody is hoping for." Um, 
to what extent is that playing into either your own life or just the lives of your clients? Yeah. So, so, uh, I have a funny, what I think is still a funny story, uh, on the, on the auto front. Uh, so may of last year, may of 2020, uh, I was kind of starting to get the feeling that the pandemic and the stay at home work from home thing was going to last much longer than, than people were kind of expecting Good when call. we left the office. I mean, it really looked like the first indication was like, yeah, everybody's going to go home for two weeks. We're going to like, wait this thing out and see what happens. And then it was like, wait a minute, this is going to be months. Uh, and I had a car that still had a car payment on it. And I was like, why am I paying for this thing to get a suntan? This is ridiculous. And I sold it uh, literally in one day. I went from like 10 a.m. I had the idea I was going to sell my car by two o'clock. It was on somebody else's lot. And it was great. And I, I was so proud of myself for, for making this decision. And now I'm starting to think I need a car again and looking and going, wait a minute. I think these used cars have gotten more expensive, not less expensive. Maybe I made a mistake here. So, so I'm definitely feeling a little bit of that pinch. I'm not in a super hurry, so I don't have to rush out and buy something, thankfully. But um, but definitely, yeah, I, I underestimated that for sure. And you're seeing the chip shortage in all sorts of stuff. I mean, you, you can't get an Xbox these days, right? I mean, there, there's all sorts of products that this is affecting. Um, on the home side, I, I think most people that don't need to move simply aren't, right? And that's that's contributing to this super low supply. And I actually, I actually got an unsolicited call. This was yesterday. Uh of a real estate broker that said, have you thought about selling your home? And I said, yes, I've thought about it, but I would have to move somewhere else, which is my problem. And so I'm not going to do that. Right. <laughs> like the, it turns out I need a home and I'm not going to sell you the one that I'm living in until I can find somewhere else to go. So, uh, you know, that same problem is going to affect all the buyers, but you're, you're definitely seeing uh, a, a lot of discomfort in that market particularly for first time buyers that are, are trying to go out and, um, you know, and, and build that future. And, and that's, that's really difficult. And I feel for those people most, uh, for the rest of us that are enjoying a little bit of appreciation that might feel undeserved at this point, you know, I, I'm okay with it. Uh, last thing, and then I'll let you go. Um, we're basically at the midpoint of 2021. When you think about the second half of the year, um, what is something you are curious to see how it plays out. It could be in housing, it could be in stocks, a uh, specific industry, but what are you going to be watching over the next six months? Yeah, so I think a couple things and, and kind of tying together a few of the, the things that we've we've talked about already. Um, I really want to see if some of these inflation fears are are a little bit short-term pressures that people are over-extrapolating what could happen, right? You see some short-term tightening in a, in a bunch of different markets from labor to lumber to all of this stuff. And I'm hoping as we get the rest of our processing back online uh, that you see some of that just normalize and that we're not uh, really as worried about this huge, booming, hyperinflationary environment, which uh, I think would would cause the Fed to take much more severe action. Um, you know, the other thing is just continuing always to watch the market. Uh, I, I do think you've seen a really big rebound in value stocks, which have basically been getting kicked around for the last decade. Uh, and, and just kind of seeing if the companies that have been growth oriented and uh, have been so exciting to watch in recent history, if the, if that trend can continue. Um, and, and yeah, we're, we're super thrilled to be running our practice and, uh, and, and working with the folks that we are. And uh, it's been, been, been great. So I think most of my attention really is there on, on getting our business off the ground. You can listen to the Check Your Balances podcast. New episodes come out every Wednesday. Check it out because Ross and Dan do a great show. Ross Anderson, thanks so much for being here. You're too kind. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. We are off tomorrow. We'll be back on Monday. In your car, at work, at home, on your smartphone. Howdy, strangers. Welcome to another edition of Talking to Strangers. I am your host, B. Michael Rickert. I'm joined by my co-host, King James III, James Lopez. And our guest today is a very special guest that we met on the golf course. Angel. Right here. Right here on this golf course next to James's uh, house. We're in our backyard uh, right now. Yeah. We, Angel. We met at the golf course a few weeks ago. Angel. And he's a, he's agreed to join us today on this podcast. So, welcome, Angel. How are you doing? How you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course, dude. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool, man. We just randomly, uh, y- you were by yourself, and we had pe- four people in front of us, and they were fucking slow. So you, <laughs> we just asked, you want to join us? And, and, you know, we started smoking weed. We get, took some shots in James's backyard here um, when we came to the hole Show that J- James's backyard is up next to. And, yeah, man, just uh, vibed and, and made a friend. And now you're here on the podcast. And, Thank uh, God. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. And it was just one of those synchronistic meetings that this podcast is all about. So I usually like to start the podcast off, Angel, with a question that is right here on our little uh, sign. Oh, and our shirts. And our shirts. What's your story? Tell the people a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, you know, I'm Angel. I'm 42 years old. Um, Sheet metal worker, air conditioning guy, you know, innovative guy, always trying to, you know, find some sort of new, faster way of getting things done Mm -hmm. because you know time is money and you know we need them out there money is time you could think about all the stuff that hasn't been invented yet dude and man they need to hurry up you try to put your mind out there or we need to hurry up yeah we need to hurry up (laughs) that's a good way to put it so yeah i mean uh uh, with me i I don't stop i'm an inventor you know like i said i want to say product developer whatever however you want to call it and my mission is to collect royalties through products I invent and, you know, lead, you know, lead people and steer them to the right direction to do what I did to become successful and let them know that I'm, you know, living proof that, hey, if I can do it, fucking any bum can do it. So what's your journey like? What, how did you, you get into the position where you are now? By hard work, obviously. By suffering, by hating, by patience, by by not retaliating, by not engaging in negativity, and, and then you know you're good, you know, because uh, you know the tongue is the most powerful thing. Dude. You could knock down anybody with your tongue, you know, make them feel like shit. You know, you can't take back what you say, negative or bad, as much as you you want to. You can't, you know. So it's very, very you got to be very careful with what you say. So I, that yeah, that's me, you know, and just try to learn from people you know I'm, you know we're all sponges dude you could learn oh, yeah. you could learn from the youngest kid to like the oldest you know person you know mm-hmm. it, it, it always keep your window open you know like don't 
don't sell yourself short thinking you know you you're better than anyone you know what i mean like that. Yeah, one of my philosophies I like to live by is just to to look at everyone as somebody. Somebody, everybody can teach you something. Hell yeah! <clears throat> if people, certain people get to a state of success where they think that nobody can tell them shit and that they they're an expert on everything, but that's bullshit. You know, like every every human being out there has something to teach you, and that's kind of why we started this podcast was just to connect to people and find. You know, find different perspectives, and and that only enriches our own experience. To be to be able to get, uh, you know, multiple perspectives, people from all walks of life, all ages, um, all religions, creeds, colors, like it, it really is important to um, expand your own horizons and not cut yourself off to, um, you know, what's what's out there, and, and just that's how people start to regress and and start to. Um, Stagnate in their life yes. is, is is they cut themselves off from other perspectives or other other types types of people. I'm still waiting to, you know, try kinds of food I haven't even tried that I might just love to death. You know, right. what I'm saying like I'm missing out right now. I feel the sky's you know? the limit. It feels yeah, like. you know, like what's that? Oh, let me try, it. man. This is fucking delicious. Where it's been all my life, <laughs> but exactly what you're saying, Brandon. You know, don't be stagnant and and, and with, you know staying you know content with what you already know. There's more to learn. There's more to do, you know. Absolutely, brother. If you know, because I don't know. For me, I always say like every person that we come across is just no, is a, a, a representation of somebody that, you know, your walk of life. Like everyone's walk of life is the same thing. We've all been through some kind of struggle. Yes. So all you, bled you, and you're, cried. you're just a walking representation of every person you've interacted with. Someone tell you they haven't cried before, or mm-hmm. hurt before, or bled before. Right. You know, don't talk to them because they're lying. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of think of it like life is kind of like a puzzle, and different people are going to fit into as pieces of the puzzle in your life. And if once you start cutting yourself off from people or perspectives, you might be missing out on a puzzle piece in your life that could Boom. be crucial for your future, crucial for your development, for your growth as a human. If you're cutting out puzzle pieces, you might miss a cornerstone. And then that, Definitely. that then you got an incomplete life and a building that's gonna fall. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. We need people. Yeah, that's the thing too. We we can't do this on our own. We need people in our life. We need that structure because eventually, when all the puzzles are put together and the pictures one big picture, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying? it's. it's a well, I'm still big, waiting for my partners, man, for this yeah. business. You know, that's what yeah. I'm saying. I, I decided right now, and really, honestly, felt that I cannot do it alone because, and I don't want to do it alone. I'm I want to do it with people so they could advance and. Like-minded you know, people fulfill their their own, you know, thoughts and dreams. You know what I mean? And uh, like I told you, I've done the hard part already, man. It, now it's just yeah. time to just send people to work. And the 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 city, the state, everybody will love you because you're making them money by sending people work to work. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And jobs are hard these days. Jobs are so hard to find these days. But there's people who are determined to get the work done. And provide a service. Well, people are not going to work right now because they're not paying enough for for mm-hmm. for, for, for what they're doing. You know, they they come come payday. They already owe everything. They, they owe everything they, owe they everything. put in for. It. Yeah, and then they're struggling to find out how they're going to get to work again. Like, sucks, dude. And I'm very happy. I I struggle like that. I struggle like that. But you so, learn from it. Yeah, you learn. Ain't no one going to tell me that. You know, I don't know. I know. I know. I know what it is to to ask for. <laughs> To gas money and no one gives you gas money. You're like, mm-hmm. fuck, come on. That's my young. For sure, man. So, 
you're at this point in your journey right now, you guys, you came across us and we're all kind of in the same, um, boat. Like, um, James, uh, exposed me to this piece that, um, it was, uh, Kendrick Lamar, right? That's right. What was the song called? Um, Mortal Man. Mortal Man. So in, in this song, there's a little, um, pro prologue, um, where he's having an interview with Tupac Shakur and it's obviously a fake interview, but they talk about this concept of the, the cocoon, the, the caterpillar, the cocoon and the butterfly, like That's right. the different stages of human life. Yeah. And we're, I feel like the three of us have come together because we're all kind of in the same stage. We're ready to break out and become a butterfly. Pe- the people we're supposed to be. And a beautiful butterfly. Yeah. And, and in some ways, maybe we all have a, a part to play in each mm-hmm. other's journey and each other's, escape from the cocoon to become what we need in to be. In the most positive way, form possible. To give back. And to, to show people back. who we are. You know, we're, yeah. we're, you know, genuinely, you know, caring for other people's, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Interest. circumstances, you know. Yeah, ex- for sure. <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, other people don't, dude, no courtesy. The courtesy is out the window in this life, dude. Always the remember, be courteous, you. you know, if you can pay for the person behind you when you're in the drive-thru if you can you can fuck mm-hmm. it's, it's all about paying it forward and and I, f- I feel like um, in today's society we're kind of conditioned to only f- worry about ourselves and, and the circle around us but I feel like there's really something to um, trying to elevate everybody trying to get everybody to kind of come alive together and, and work towards a common goal and get us to all be kind of vibrating on this higher frequency where where we're attracting the experiences we need frequency very to, good word to, to reach that next plane and you know there, there's we all a lot of us have this mental block where we're we're only we, we're not willing to take ch- risks we're not willing to take chances we, we're, we want to stay in our little comfort zone and hope everything works out but then when it doesn't, we get depressed and be like, "Oh, nothing, nothing works out." Throwing for me. the but, towel. That's but right. yeah, but no, but you, you in reality, you, you took the safe route and you never really took the risk. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're in this phase With of our lives. You don't ever take risks. With confidence, credentials, and preparing yourself, you're not taking risks because you're 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 investing. avoiding risk because everything yourself. you've done, you know, yeah. you know the risk is there. But once you know you could pass that test, you're gonna, you know. You know, come to after you study hard for it, you you're gonna pass. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You just, you just gotta get. You had a vision at one point. You had a vision at one point many years back, and now you're setting yourself up to your vision. I did. I have pictures, like from ten years ago of my invention, dude. Of just at work, you know, installing this the the shit that don't work, mm-hmm. and they're still doing it all wrong. <laughs> and you're finding you finding these little discrepancies to better it. I'm finding everything to better. New tools, new equipment, you know, a, a new a new way of thinking, new way of life, you know, like don't give up, you know. If this it doesn't work this way, someone's gotta know how to do it, you know. You know, figure it out. <laughs> I think I think a lot of us we would be would benefit from just taking leaps of faith and just trusting the process, trusting that things are gonna work out. Right. We, we, a lot of us tr- try to control every little step so much and Oh, I am not ready. And this is one of the things I ran into um, in my old profession when I was chasing uh, professional wrestling. Um, a lot of people wouldn't reach out to WWE because they're like, oh, I'm not ready. Oh, I'm not ready. But if you wait 
until you're ready, you'll be waiting your whole life. Like you have to put yourself out there at some point. And that was the mistake that a lot of people, a lot of my peers made was to not take that next step to really try to advance, to grow. And if, and for a lot of people, and I think this goes pretty universally. Quitters. It, it, not just quitters, but um, they're afraid of success. And we talked about this with the um, uh, Nate podcast. Right. Um, I think it was two episodes ago. But they're smart about it, though, being that way, too, because it's cautious. You know, they, being scared of success is very smart. Because people that get success and are not scared are not success or are not with us no more. Because they didn't think about that, you know what I mean? But you have to think yeah. about that. I'm sorry for kidding. Life is about balance, though. Life is all about balance. So but what I feel like what you're saying, Brandon, for sure, like with success, is it's a it's a responsibility because yes. now you're being watched. Oh, You're being watched carefully. So it's a responsibility that you have to, as a man or as a person or as an energy source, to take that responsibility and use it accordingly and that's why I feel like if everyone's heart yeah. and mind is in the right place and you know you spread that love how can you ever lose can't. <laughs> can't you can't you cannot lose the, the word love the risk when you say risk everything is a risk in, you're, ca- you're in, ri- in a calculated but, form yeah. a, you know but risk and reward yeah like I said like I, I, I am huge on the 12 laws of the universe you know Law of uh, cause and effect, law mm-hmm. of frequency and vibrations. Yes, so all yes. of it makes sense. I believe in that also, man, because uh, it exists. You know, you, it's right how, in front of you. How else are you going to get sane and 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 be happy when you know everything you've come across in your world hasn't mm-hmm. made you that way? You know, you have to find it. You know, inside. You know, even if it's with just I don't know, getting a crystal bowl and going. Yeah. Everyone's got their own way, you know. Everyone's got their. I, my thing, I struggled with, dude, back in the day. You know, I struggled. I struggled with alcoholism. You know, shut up, dude. Yeah, I was bad. You hear the past podcasts? I struggled with alcohol because of, of why? Just because I I was I, in the military. I felt like I was trapped in a box of my creativity. You ever had alcohol issues? No, I did have uh, cocaine issues at one point. Oh yeah. Um, that was I'm pretty so intense. Happy you're still with uh, us. Mom, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I don't think mom knows about this, but yeah, yeah when uh, when my parents just split, kidding. Yeah, when my, my par- mom knows about this. Yeah, when my parents split, um, my dad went to a really dark place, and we ended up um, my my roommate, uh, my friend moved in. He he was uh, he was living up the street, and then his dad moved to Vegas, so he was kind of on his own, needed a place. So since my mom was gone, we had an extra bedroom. And we let him stay there. And um, then our neighbor at the time was my dad's age, but he was he was pushing a lot of, of, he uh, of drugs. He was <laughs> yeah. he was pushing a lot of drugs, and my roommate ended up starting to sell for him. So we got to a point where we were just we had free cocaine all the time, and You're it was not just blaming them though. No, no, I'm not not blaming. It's just a circumstance. <laughs> it's just a circumstance like, I found myself I'm in. You know, by a drug yeah, yeah. For me. It's wow. it's one of those wow. things where it's I made the choice to to, to do it, and, and it you was made the choice to stop. Exactly, the Perfect. choice to stop was rough though. I'll tell you that much. Um, this is. Guys, if you're if you guys use cocaine regularly, this is a caution cautionary tale. But I was um, doing it every day. It was just this constant chasing a dragon. Every day I was doing it, and and yep. I was loving it. I mean, I loved it. I loved it a lot, and that was part of the biggest problem with it. It was I was just I liked you were how chasing it, that first high. Yeah, know, I liked yeah. how it made me feel yeah. though, you know. And at some point, about six or seven months into this bender. 
I told myself I was like, you, "This you can't go on like this, Brandon. Like you're gonna die. You're gonna yeah, kill yourself." Yeah. Um, so I, I made the conscious choice to stop. But one of the things that people you don't really know, um, a, a lot of people don't really know about cocaine, is that that the withdrawals are really bad and can be deadly. Oh, um, for and you especially, and others around you. Oh yeah, well, especially if you stop cold turkey. So. I stopped cold turkeys, and like three days later, I was at work. I'll never forget this, man. I was working um, security at the Honda Center at the time. I was the backstage supervisor. We were doing an Eagles concert, and um, my buddy was the head of security at the Honda Center at the time. And we, we um, he, he was a really close friend of mine, and we always would game plan we, um, before what the what the strategy was, what you know, what um, to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, so him and I went off site to go eat and we would go smoke some weed um, on the way. So we smoked a bowl and I, I was driving and I started feeling really fucking weird. Just oh, like I'd never shit. felt like this before. It's really strange. Just like I couldn't, like my, it was, almost, it was like my brain was disconnected from my body. Like it was just like something wasn't computing. My brain was just like fogged. And um, so I, and I felt something in my, in my nose, you know, because when you're doing cocaine a lot, your nose feels like it's all constantly congested. Yeah, spare so, line up there, huh? Uh, something, man. It was so I, 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 I hawked like a loogie, right, to get it out of my nose <coughs> and my throat, and I, I, I got this huge mass in my mouth, and I spit it out, and it was all blood. Ooh. It was just blood, some big chunk of matter. I don't know if it was, um, you know, mucus brain. or what. Yeah, exactly. It was bad. It was a huge chunk of shit oh, that no, I spit dude. out, and I, when as soon as I saw it, I started feeling really dizzy, and I, um. Oh, I had to pull over. I pulled over into the Jack in the Box parking parking lot. I told my buddy, I was like, I'm feeling really fucking weird. I don't know what's happening. And then I blacked out. And um, I woke up to him like shaking me, he, like him he, him in my face shaking me. Brandon, wake up! Brandon, wake up! And I snapped out of it. And he's like, dude, you just had a seizure right now. Oh, oh shit! And I, After that, you were dude, good? I had fucking pissed myself. Like I was. I, I my, my head was still really foggy, but after he told me like you had a seizure, I was like, "Fuck, what the fuck happened to me?" You know, off, it was bad, dude. It was really bad, and um, so I drove him back to the Honda Center, and he's like, "Dude, you don't gotta work, just you just drove chill him? out." I yeah, well yeah, well he drove my car back, oh, yeah. but I, I, I he, we parked in the parking lot, and he said, "Dude, I'll get someone to cover you, just." You know, hey, chill until you're good, and just go home when you're ready. Yeah, when you're alive again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and. I was like, what the fuck happened to me? You. Yeah, it was totally, like, yeah. fucking freaked me out, bro. You said, I don't want to die right it's, there. And exactly. Then. And I, I, I looked it up later. I was like, I didn't, I wanted to know what happened to me. I was like, why did that happen? Why did I have a seizure? Did you find out? Um, and I found out that it was a symptom of, of cocaine withdrawals. Is like, sometimes people will have seizures when they're withdrawing from it. And you can die from the seizure, too. Like, I could have died. Oh, my God. Like, that's, it was, it was that's fucking heavy saying. shit, man. I'm lucky you're still here with us. You go look back at it, and you like... Damn, I, I met death in the face. I pretty much did, man. That was one of the, like, close... I, I mean, I've, I've just detailed my other little, like, uh, synchronistic... Your uh, body was like, where's it at? Where's it at? Oh yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really bad. So, I, you know, I, I know all about that, man. The, the, the addiction, the depression, that I hit rock bottom. And, um... But if it, you, it was if an experience... If in that situation, get help, please. It's no laughing matter and there's nothing you'll find to, the number on the internet yeah nothing me. to even be um, you know embarrassed about or nothing you know? yeah exactly you got, you're not alone guys people go through this shit all the time I'm fine now this is 10 this is this is almost 15 years ago this happened we don't need anything um, in reality not, no smoke no, I mean you know limit yourself and you'll be good you know the air we breathe in is worse <laughs> <laughs>
But I mean, yeah, that was my wake up call. But you, you said something earlier that, you know, I wouldn't change it for nothing because that's what made me who I am today. That's yeah. what brought me to this point where I'm at with the, that experience um, was something I had to go through. And um, well, now, now like, your premonition right there. We yeah. share our experience. You had a premonition yeah. right there, right there and then. And you saw yourself freaking dying in the hospital, if not already dead. Yep. And yeah. then you're like, I don't want to fucking do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was scary shit, but it, it scared me straight, and it, it made me who I am today. So I'm grateful that I got to experience and go Amen. through that. Um, sure. Because now, when people, when I'm out in places like parties or whatever, at friends' houses or wherever, and people are like, "Hey, you want a line?" No, you watch. Yeah. I'm good, man. <laughs> you good. do, you guys do it. Have fun. Yeah. You know, I'm not judging you or you nothing. Don't ask, you I, don't ask where it's where it's from, and, and is it bomb? <laughs> <laughs> Because all that matters. I mean, know? we all yeah, that matter. matter. We joke it around matter. with it. Don't get us wrong. We'll joke around with it. Like we'll make our little fucking side humor with it. But like, I don't know if it's fish scale or straight Colombian or. Oh, I had some stuff in Mexico one time that was like, I was like pure. It was so pure, man. And I was like, dude, this is what's this is what cocaine is supposed to feel like. The stuff we get in LA is all mixed with speed and baby laxative, and yeah. it's just garbage. It's not. It's not the quality baby shit powder? that's coming. Yeah, it's not the pure stuff, and um, but even I, the pure powder, it's all gas. Like, why do they say "dame más gasolina"? Talking about coke. Yeah, yeah, they do cut it with gas. Uh, go watch the, pro- the process. You find the, the process online on YouTube if you, if you really want to. It's really disturbing. Um, but yeah, I'd, so yeah, I don't I don't touch that shit. Um, but I don't judge anybody else who does because everybody's got to go through their own thing. And if hey, somebody can do it, it'll never affect them, bro. Put it like that. Yeah, it's just, it's, it was your 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 um body, your immune system, your time to um, ponder and realize what's cracking with you. But you know, it does it doesn't go with like that for everybody. Everybody can have another another looking near death experience. You know, I mean, mine was alcohol. <clears throat> mine was alcohol. There you go. See, at a young fucking age, dude. Unbelievable, bro. Yeah, you would be surprised. I I was like wild turkey down to the dome, huh? Mm. <laughs> Dude, I would wake up in places and I I, would, I wouldn't remember. You're like that wasn't me four four wheeling four buying over there. I I, I have a Honda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, it was it was pretty bad. And then yeah, I went to uh, AA, ADAPT, alcohol drug, uh, abuse prevention team. It was like a program developed in the Air Force. I was in there for a year and a half. I was supporting my friends in it, and it was good. And that helped you? Yep. Helped <laughs> people around me, and now yep. they're surrounded. I'm surrounded by them actually. Still you, to dude, this that, day. so happy that happened to you, dude. Because you're not going to become an alcoholic in your in your older I, life. And yeah, I talk to a lot of people. I stare at people even younger than me, but older too. I stared at them too, and they struggled, but they were bettering themselves. <laughs> and it was interesting. You all can't of them, nobody like you said. Mm-hmm, all of them had an interesting story about themselves, like. And I was I was a cop in there. I was sitting next to a pilot, a guy that was a maintainer, what? and these uh, uh, do- doctors, dude. professionals. These guys are professionals with the with the mindset, but they struggle with a, uh, oh, yeah. addiction. You could struggle. You could be the most genius, and a and a woman will put you, bring you down. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying anything. Mm-hmm. I a man or a man will put you down. Vice versa, you know. I struggle with alcohol, dude. But yeah, I beat it. It's really important to have support groups, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, I beat it. it like that—that's—that's that's why I said earlier, like guys, if you're if you're struggling with this stuff, you're not alone. Don't feel like you're alone. And I, I understand the addiction mindset where, like, you, you there's a voice inside of you that's telling you, Brandon or James mm-hmm. or whoever, 
you're 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 fucking up. You can't do this. You you, you got to break out of it. But yeah, then there, look out. But then there's that other side of you that, but I like it. And then <laughs> and then and you you there's that that side of you is afraid. Mm-hmm. You fear. What what am I? What's life going to be like when I don't do this anymore? Like I because you yeah. need it so much. Don't you beat th- yourself you, up, and then though. people remember you. I I was remembered. I had a stigma within my like within my um, workplace because people knew like oh this guy's the functional alcoholic like he can do it all multitasking Multi-tal- alcoholic yep. mm-hmm. yeah so it becomes part of your identity but yeah I'm the no guy no about that so, so when you you're doing so yeah. when you're fucking up they say man here give this guy a beer real quick <laughs> <laughs> yep yep and that well you know but like I said I, when I was in the military like I felt like I was in a box in the cage cocoon cocoon and a, like I was so in prison you were still in my in own your mind cocoon. and creativity you were still in your cocoon mm-hmm. it, was, it was still getting webbed up that's when I realized though I don't want to be a cop or do this shit for 20 years that's so easy my, oh, my parents did that shit oh. my parents did that shit a long time ago mm-hmm. they they want the pension my parents you they, saw they, your premonition pen- too you I saw like, my I saw my vision I was like they chased the pension they chased the 401k I'm not chasing any and, of that but they chased all that without being happy mm-hmm. without you know, being happy without being, being their true self the real self now I want to go back. I want to fund cops. We're, we're I not wanna, against the system, but we're not mm-hmm. with the system either. Exactly. You know, we'll help the system, but yeah. they, they're not gonna, you know, like you know, say, "Hey, well, you can't take a shit right now because you know you gotta wait." <laughs> <laughs> what? I gotta go. Yeah, it's it really is um, rewarding to kind of strike out on your own and do your own thing and. Mm-hmm. That's what always has resonated with me. Is uh, that's the kind of life I always wanted to live. I didn't want to live a, a system life of nine to five on the hamster system wheel. The pay, you know, paying my paying my bills and I did five years without the military, bro. I'm done. I paid my dues. Yeah, I, I I paid my dues with all kinds of shit jobs, man. I worked for Check and Go, which was like payday loan place, which is just a horrible, horrible company. That, no money coming in. Well, I, I was making decent money, but like I was. You're making money off the backs of desperate people. Like pay, these payday loan places, they 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 loan people out a percent, no, like a they percentage. Paying you a, a good wage to work there. No, I mean I, I wasn't making great money, but I was making good enough money to survive. But I, I couldn't live with myself do, knowing what I was doing to people. Like just their system is so um, par- predatory and parasitic. It doesn't matter if they think that the people think that they're getting help. That's all that matters. You know, they, if they don't know the real deal of it all, then it's their own fault. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I just it you was were, just such a too much. it was just a predatory uh, <laughs> so business, nice, man. Brandon. No, it, it was bad, dude. Like I, I saw people that were probably um, struggling to feed their kids coming yeah. in yeah. and signing up for loans Jeez. and that, that were the interest rates were astronomical and, and, man. and signing their money away yeah, or else not getting a loan and being miserable well I mean it, it was a cycle they, you know they, they got people into this payday loan cycle where they're constantly um, getting loans and then when they get paid they come pay their loan back and get another loan and and then they would they would also hook them for these the long term loans it's the American way yeah but I mean just predatory interest rates man like just uh, you wouldn't 19? believe them, man. You wouldn't believe the interest rates. They're like, like they're under twenty. <laughs> like they would get two, a two thousand dollar loan and have to pay it back in six months. But by the time they paid it back in six months, it would be like forty five hundred dollars. So they're paying twice as much money as they got loaned back. Uh, do they do they explain that to them? No. Well, they have it. It's in the fine print, of course, but nobody understands fine print. Nobody not. understands Especially numbers. English is your second language. You know? Yeah, know and a lot of those people were, you know, second yep. language. Um, uh, immigrants and and just 
like I said, it was just a predatory uh, industry. They, well, that's why the world better be ready for us. <coughs> Dangerous. Because that's all I got. Because say. I don't know what I mean by that, but be ready. Be ready. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we we need people like ourselves out there trying to make a difference, trying to elevate other humans. Like, and, and I'm not a selfish person. You guys don't strike me as selfish people. Like, we want what's best for everybody. And, and, never selfish. and only when you have to be, because for your own good. That, and, and, that mean we're, and that doesn't mean we're bad people. You yeah, know? that's just that's actually yeah, that's, the, that's, the universe knows, dude, that what we're, we're about to do. Mm-hmm. You know, what we're gonna do. Don't feel bad, man. Like, don't give up, people. You know, you, you, we all got an inventor in us. We all got whatever you want. Chase your goals. You Artists. Know? Be happy. Yeah. You know, you don't want, if you want to work at a fast food, fucking, you know, you like food, you know. Make it your next. Make that next step and go to culinary school. You know, start a business. Or, you know, become a don't bon- chase the check. bonafide chase chef. Dream. Stop chasing the check. Just yeah. Chase I the mean, dream. Yeah. What makes you come alive? What's, like you said, if you're working at a at a restaurant as an entry level person, try to try to improve yourself. Try to make yourself more valuable. Take yourself to the next level. If that's something that you want to do, if you if you like um, if you like cooking or whatever, you and know, it all because, starts by taking a shower daily. <laughs> hey, I love my daily shower, man. I, I'm grateful. Oh, oh, me too. I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful for my shower every morning, man. It's, it's I something. Have the right temperature. Something I, I got my my shower ritual. I did not take it for granted. <laughs> The best advice in the world, dude. The motherfuckers be stank. Oh. <laughs> yeah, take advantage of that uh, modern good. modern plumbing and uh, and water. Plumbing. Yeah, yeah but, take uh, that hard water, baby. Uh, even that that that's something too. Is like gratitude for what you have. I think that that's that's part of um, that's part of taking the next step is. Growing is is being grateful for what you acknowledging have acknowledging it and acknowledging the things that the that blessings in this is mine, um, acknowledging the blessings in your life and and like I, I tell a lot of people, man, um, whether you're spiritual or not, but I, I feel like God, um, if you're not will, if you're not thankful for what God gave you, why is He going to give you any more? That's right. If you're sitting around miserable every day and you don't look around you and, and really take and stock look, of the things you that you work should be hard, work for. somewhat for it. You don't got to work hard for, it, but you got to work somewhat for it, you know. Yeah, just be willing to, to put the work in, and that's that's literally the, the the secret. The secret is put the work in and be grateful, and you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know when you'll be out golfing and meet somebody like Angel. Be you know how we, you know actually how we met. <clears throat> I thought I had lost my three my three wood. <laughs> And I went back, and that's when I was like, man, where's my three when Lo and behold, I left it in my truck. Oh. <laughs> so I would have never met you guys if I would have never thought I lost my three wood. Three that's, wood. that's the reason why we met. That's crazy. Not three wood. And we're, we should title this, this episode, The Three Wood. The Three, the three Wood Miracle? <laughs> the Three Wood Miracle, yep. That, hey, man, that, that's... Or the Three Word Curse. Because you came back, you went no, back, you went back for the, uh, you went back for the, you know, for the damn thing and then you met us and then boom now and then it was still in my truck <laughs> it's still in your truck that was a miracle that, that, that's not a coincidence though man that was meant to be you you for whatever reason left your three wood in the truck and 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 then you discovered that you didn't have it at the perfect time to where you would well, come back what number hole because the number three it was like was it was on the it was at the turn was hitting it on me and shit I'm pretty sure it was at the tur- right before gonna, the turn I, was, I, was, I went back to see it was hitting on you guys hit a bomber on us and I was like wait a minute what you're trying to kill it was me. It's probably again. James. 
Was it me? James, James, James can vomit here. when he gets it's a hold of it. probably me. It was an accident. <laughs> I was going to say, hey, you guys lost the ball. Here it is. It but, hit me. Yeah, think about that, man. You realized you didn't have your three wood at the exact right time for you to go back and, and talk to us and then end up joining up with us. You said, you like, know, fuck the three wood. Let's just hang out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it ends up being in your truck all along. Yeah. Yeah, I love being social, man. I, 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 what I dislike, and I don't care about it, but like if someone that's very quiet, and antisocial, they shouldn't be around people around, you know, mm-hmm. just so people can see them fucking having a, <clears throat> I don't know, a negative vibe or what or whatnot, you know? Yeah. Like, get out of here, you know what I mean? You, you don't want no one to know your name or what you're going to do tomorrow, fucking get out. Get out of yeah, here. like, come on, we're, we're open, I feel like we're very open. You know, I'm hey, very what open. you going to do tomorrow? <laughs> Nothing. All right, well, let's go over here. All right, let's go. Let's go. I, but I think, you see, for us, like, because we're open, the possibilities are endless. We went to Vegas, it, we met up in Vegas, like... Just to mm. show, like, we're here. Like, what's up? And now now we're in this. Now we're in my backyard doing a podcast. I'm going to make a video of how to start a fire just with your bare hands and sticks quickly. Bah. I like that. Because it's not out there. Everyone takes... Well, there, it, there is a lot, a, lot of, a lot of them, you know. They use yeah. a string, a violin, mm-hmm. a, you know, tactic. There's a lot of ways, but I haven't seen my way I mean, look at how we're doing. I want to see your way right now. Right now, look what we're doing. You know, we are matching. We're doing that. We're sparking naturally it. Yeah. with our energy. We're igniting it. Exactly. Dude, what do you guys think? Should we go golfing or what? I'm ready. I'm ready. I think we got 32 minutes, and I think that's good. We enough. can do whatever we want, boys. All right, peace. All right, guys. Little short one today. I'm sure we'll you'll see more of Angel. Angel's in our circle now, so he, he's uh, he's no longer a stranger. If you guys like the podcast, like, share, and subscribe. Follow me on TikTok, King James the Third. And if you want to be a guest, just like Angel, reach out to us. Uh, my email is brickard4h at gmail.com. It will be in the description as always. So, guys, reach out to us, and you never know, maybe you'll be the next person to be a part of our circle. episode please leave us a review on itunes wnyc studios is supported by earth justice a national legal nonprofit defending the environment and people's health until justice stands for all their lawyers will never rest more at earthjustice.org slash never rest earth justice because the earth needs a good lawyer wnyc studios is supported by geico Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. Fortunately, GEICO makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. It's a good thing, too, because having a home is hard work. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. GEICO.com. Easy. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC, a Pride Month shocker from the world of professional football. Did you hear the news that Carl Nassib, NFL player for the Las Vegas Raiders, who is now the first openly gay active professional football player, did come out? He took to his Instagram on Monday to announce he, quote, finally feels comfortable, unquote, to come out publicly 
and, quote, representation and visibility are so important, he wrote. Joining us to discuss this monumental moment for the NFL are Jane McManus, director of Marist's Center for Sports Communication and Deadspin Sports Columnist, and Jeff Ruder, national reporter for The Athletic. Welcome back, Jane, and welcome to WNYC. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Oh, so far we only have Jeff. So, Jeff, hi. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. And listeners, we want to open up the phones to you as well, especially if you have been a gay man in sports at any level. Talk about your experience or react to this NFL first. 646-435-7280. 646-435-7280. And anyone may call, but gay men in sports will center you mostly if anyone happens to be in that group to call in right now, 646-435-7280. Tell us any of your own experiences with that and deciding whether to come out to your teammates and your reaction to this news, 646-435-7280, or tweet at Brian Lehrer. Um, Jeff, for those who don't follow the NFL closely, who is this player? Yeah, Carl Nassib is a defensive lineman. He was a former Big Ten Defender of the Year, played for the Penn State Nittany Lions, and he is an established player. And I think that that's something that differentiates Carl coming out compared to a couple of other uh, former young American football players, such as Michael Sam, who came out before uh, the NFL draft in 2014, and then R.K. Russell, who came out after he had essentially retired or been unable to find a new team just a couple of years ago. Uh, He is a player who is, I mean, he is seen as an established presence within the league. He's a veteran of the league. He's played for a few different teams. He's uh, he started regularly, gotten sacks, you know, all of these things. And now, of course, his uh, his notoriety or his notability, I should say, has increased dramatically. This week, Fanatics, which is the main uh, jersey manufacturer and sales uh, company for NFL jerseys, does have Carl Nassib as the number one selling jersey in the National Football League since he came out. So that is a, a very significant milestone just in terms of not just his own recognition, but more importantly, Uh, the fan culture and the number of people who are excited by this, inspired by this, and want to support him as he continues in his career as an openly gay man. Now, Nassib will, and forgive me, everybody, for mispronouncing his name the first time I said it. It shows you how much I know about the NFL. Um, But you mentioned Michael Sam, the first openly gay player to be drafted by an NFL team, But my understanding is he soon thereafter stepped away and never played a regular season game, citing concerns for his mental health. And so Carl Nassib would be the first player to actually play on an NFL team um, in an actual game after coming out as gay. Is that correct? That's correct. And he does have two guaranteed years left on his contract with the Las Vegas Raiders as well. So it isn't just a case where... Uh, you know, he, he's going to be competing for a spot. It, he should be, in theory, uh, certain to take the field at some point in 2021, assuming, you know, health and uh, other competition at the position doesn't come into play. And we do also have Jane McManus with us now, director of Marist College Center for Sports Communication and a deadspin sports columnist who's reported a lot, Um, former ESPN on the NFL. Uh, Hi, Jane. Welcome back. And I guess my first question to you is, as far as you could tell, how are his teammates taking it? 
you've gotten a lot of support within the league. Um, and I think, you know, you've, you've had some really notable players come out and, and say that they publicly support him. And then, of course, you know, Roger Goodell has uh, supported him and, and came out and made a statement saying that he was, he was proud of Carl. And, and I think that means a lot. And, you know, there are, there are a number of players who play in the NFL who have been out publicly or have been out privately to their teammates. Their teammates know and are supportive, um, but the public doesn't know. And I think that's because there is this threshold that one crosses when you come out as gay in a public way. And Michael Sam, I think, has felt the effects of that very considerably. He had been out privately as a as a college player to his Missouri teammates, and they accepted him. But then when he came out publicly in the draft, that's when things really started to change for him. And he did get a lot of public support, but he also got a, a private backlash, I think. And, and he had to deal with that kind of on his own. And he's come out since then and said that he felt like he didn't get a lot of internal support from the league uh, in the ways that it mattered. You know, he may have gotten you know, people who tweeted support, but then when it came to these structural things, and, I, and you know, he never made the team, and, and I don't think he would say it was because he took it himself out of competition. I think he would say that that the the public conversation around his coming out affected the way that he was looked at as a football player. And, and I do think that that's still something um, that even a player like Carl Nassib coming out you know, again, 10 years after this conversation started about when the NFL would have a, a gay player who was publicly out as gay. I think that is, you know, that's a long time. And that's because there is this distinction between the public and private um, discussion around this issue. And what about gender? You know, a listener reacted to the fact that I, I put out the call before you came on for gay men in sports to call in and talk about your experience at any level, and and the listener asks why ask for gay men and not gay people in sports, and the reason is that my sense of it, Jane, correct me if you think this is wrong, is that there's just more homophobia among straight men than there is among straight women, and lesbians in sports and women's sports don't face the same challenges by and large as a gay man in pro sports would. But do you think that's true or false? I think that's 100% true. You've had women who've been out. There certainly are issues. I mean, not to downplay it entirely, there certainly are issues. But I, I actually, I did a story about this in 2011 for ESPN about when the NFL would accept a gay player. And, and I interviewed John Amici, who was, an NF, who was an NBA player in the 90s and has since come out as gay and speaks publicly about his experiences and is a really smart person on these issues. And he thinks that the homophobia is, is misogyny in a sense uh, in sports. They've, and he said, you know, there are, if you come out as a woman and you're gay, people will think that you're going to be better at your sport because of that. There is no dis, disconnect between the idea uh, of masculinity and, and, and excellence in sports. Mm. But if you come out as gay as a man in sports, then, then you get the counter to that, which is that people will assume you're not as tough. You're gonna be, not going to go as hard. You're not going to be as competitive in the field. There's this idea of softness when it comes to femininity. And in, the, in sports, uh, coming out as gay then means that you could have all of these cultural assumptions that we make about people based on our ideas of masculinity and of femininity, and none of them benefit uh, men who come out as gay in the context of a professional sport. And oh, by the way, 
no men are calling in <laughs> after my request to talk about being a gay man at any level of sports. Maybe uh, that's how rare it is that people who are gay come out in the context of sports at any level, but we invite you again, 646-435-7280. But anyone else may call as well on the Carl Nassib story, 646-435-7280, or tweet at Brian Lehrer. Um, Jeff, you, you wrote, and my other guest is Jeff Reuter, national reporter for The Athletic, and in your article on this, you wrote, publicly coming out on social media is a daunting process. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I, I think that in general, when you see an athlete or any person in the public eye coming out via social media, there's just something about social media that is inherently performative. I think a lot of people see it as uh, bigging yourself up, making yourself sound like you are uh, something more important than you were before and, and that it is ultimately a selfish act. But really, that isn't the case. Often, there are a lot of factors that go into play. I came out personally, publicly as bisexual in October via Twitter after having been out to my friends and family for the better part of a decade. And in my own experience, there were many false starts over the course of, I would say, those eight or nine years where I was out privately, but not publicly. And it's questions of, will I be heard and supported? Is there a part of the inevitable reaction cycle that social media breeds that I haven't considered? What's going to happen next? Um, it, it's always the concern of the unforeseen. And then when you expand that from a national sports writer who predominantly covers American soccer to an NFL starting player in Las Vegas, that's such a grand scope in terms of, I mean, the, the potential risks that may be perceived in this, or there may be other considerations, including the locker room. You know, we talked about Michael Sam and uh, ultimately how he wasn't, signed by the then St. Louis Rams when he was drafted. But I, I think that the other part of it was that the, a lot of the media discussion around it at the time was not as it is right now with Carl Nassif. It wasn't questions of, uh, you know, how will he be? How will his mental health be? Will he be given a fair chance? It was questions of, uh, you know, articles such as, will Michael Sam be trusted in a team shower? Right. And that was a lot of what the discussion was. And so I think that that news cycle also informed uh, Colin Martin, who for the last two and a half years has been the only openly gay, active professional athlete playing in American soccer, formerly in Major League Soccer and now in the second division USL. And he told me when he came out in 2018 that the reaction to Michael Sam coming out kept him from doing the same for a couple of years publicly because he didn't want it to be the preeminent part of his identity. He wanted to be taken seriously as a soccer player first. And then as he established himself in his career, by the time he turned 23, then he did come out then with six years in major league soccer under his belt. But there is so much that you don't know is going to happen. One other thing I will say though, is that in the aftermath of this, you do find so many people who say that they are inspired by people like Carl Nassib and Colin Martin, people who say that they feel more comfortable in their own skin, that they find someone in culture, in sport in particular, that they feel that they can identify with more than they had before. And the impact of that is so crucial to normalizing the idea of gay athletes in men's sports. Justine in Astoria, you're on WNYC. Hello, Justine. Hi, Brian. Thanks again. I've called before. I, uh, I'm a trans woman, and growing up as a boy, I played sports. And I'm not surprised that athletes are starting to come out now. 
because there are always been gay athletes. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I might be only, I don't mean to project onto other people, but I, I think that a lot of young men play sports because precise, you know, whether gay or straight, um, play sports precisely because they're trying to fit into society's definitions of masculinity. And I know that's what I did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, uh, I wrestled when I played soccer in high school. And one of the reasons I got involved in sports and got myself into shape was because I was, I was getting bullied and sure enough, bullying stopped after I played sports. Although, you know, I'm sure there were whispers about me. Justine, thank you very much. And we always appreciate your calls. That's, that's a great perspective to add to it. Bill and Rigo Park, you're on WNYC. Hi, Bill. Hi, good morning. Um, this is an interesting spot. And uh, it occurred to me that there are some sports in which it's okay. I mean, I guess societally okay for gay males to come out. And they have, such as figure skating, um, diving, um, gymnastics. So I'm wondering if your guest has any comment about this. Bill, thank you very much. Jane, let me throw that to you. Um, Yeah, we're talking about the first openly gay NFL player. I can't think of anybody who's been openly gay as an active NBA player or Major League Baseball player, hockey player in the NHL, or do I just not know these stories? I think, I think you know, Jason Collins came out in 2013 in the NBA. So there have been, and, I, and there, there are other players, um, but, but that's exactly right. And, and I do think um, your caller has a, has a real point. And, you know, we do assign, uh, you, know, you know, much as, the, much as other languages assign masculine and feminine, you know, uh, pronouns and, to things, we do assign, I think, gender to sports in some ways. And if you look at something like figure skating, which is more popular for women than for men, um, you might say you might see a young man who wanted to be a figure skater bullied because of you know our our misogynistic tendencies in this country and these ideas that you know the idea of sport and playing sport you know just like Justine said is very much about we are we are reinforcing cultural values when we teach our children about sports we are teaching them these cultural values that we are assigning to that sport so for football we are assigning one set. Of, of cultural values, maybe a little different for baseball, different for figure skating. Think of a young man who might go into ballet, which is another physical pursuit uh, today. Think about, about how that would be responded to. And, and I do think that it's because we have these cultural ideas of masculinity and femininity and we apply them to sports. Um, and I'd just like to make another point, a point about what Justine said, which is so important. And if these sports really do want to support somebody like Carl Nassib, and the other players who are coming out. You know, Mike Lee today put out a tweet saying that he was going to be proposing another bill, uh, Senator Mike Lee, that he's going to be proposing another anti-trans bill. Uh, and, and young women like mm. Justine who want to play sports are being targeted across the country right now. Um, and, being, and, and there's a lot of legislation that's designed to keep them from playing sports. And I just think culturally it's really important to think about how that fits into this discussion and what we are saying to those young women when we say we don't want them to play. Let's go next to Robert in Astoria. You're on WNYC. Hi, Robert. Hello. Um, yeah, so I grew up playing sports throughout my entire life. 
um, and was a closet gay male. And in high school, I played football. And I think that because of the machismo culture of football, American football, like, I, I, it kind of prevented me from coming out in high school. And as an adult now, I, I play men's volleyball with Gotham Volleyball League in New York City. It's the largest gay men's volleyball league. And, like, within men's volleyball internationally, um, gay culture is, like, completely accepted. There are multiple professional gay men that play volleyball. And I, I think, I think hope, hopefully there's a paradigm shift within, like, NFL football now. So that, I, I hope that that's the case. I, uh, I, I'm fearful that he won't get a play. <laughs> yeah. Robert, thank you very much. So, Jeff, from The Athletic, uh, in our last minute, what do you think happens on the Raiders now? I mean, one of you mentioned, you know, bathroom issues before, and so much of these conversations seem to come, so many of these conversations seem to come down to um, straight male fears about what happens in a locker room. (laughs) And so... Is there kind of, you know, does team management now step in and kind of educate the other teammates about, you know, uh, Carl isn't going to attack you in the locker room or what what has to happen there? Yeah, I, I think that that's I mean, look, as you alluded to, a lot of those fears are rooted in homophobia. Right. And I, I believe that you've seen public statements from the Raiders organization again on Twitter where inherently social media feels performative, but they did have a statement of support for Carl. I think that you would also see, you would hope to see, I should say, uh, organizations within uh, the Raiders as well as beyond in the greater Las Vegas community that are looking to educate the fan base or make it feel like a more inclusive and truly be a more inclusive place. That means more than just having a pride night where you're selling a Raiders jersey with rainbow numbers. It, It means actually going in and ensuring that there is a safe space, that it is, uh, that there is shared awareness, that there is that right. common humanity that is highlighted here. So it isn't the the straight players on the Raiders and Carl right. Nassib, but it is the Raiders, right? And, and just make that yes. at a broader macro level. He's been in that locker room already. He's been in NFL locker rooms. Those fears should be subsided in theory. Uh, I, I think that the question right. is going to be how much more open is the NFL to having a gay player than they would have been eight years ago with what Michael Sam went through. And there is your Pride Month shocker from the NFL. Jane McManus, director of Marist Center for Sports Communication and Deadspin Sports Columnist, and Jeff Reuter, staff writer at The Athletic. Thank you so much for talking about it with us. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. The Brian Lehrer Show is produced by Lisa Allison, Mary Croak, Zoe Azale, Amina Serna, and Regina Dehir. Zach Goddard-Cohen works on our daily podcast. Megan Ryan is the head of live radio. And that's Juliana Fonda at the Audio Controls. I'm Brian Lehrer. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. Tonight, the acknowledgement from the White House, the U.S. will not meet President Biden's July 4th COVID vaccination goal. The COVID task force conceding the nation will fall short to the president's target of 70 percent of adults with at least one dose. Officials pointing to younger adults for the lag. It comes as Dr. Fauci says the Delta variant is now the greatest threat, accounting for over 20 percent of new U.S. cases and doubling every two weeks. Fauci's new message tonight. 
The critical vote as we come on the air, the GOP moving to block the Democrats' sweeping voting rights bill. Where does the fight go now? The FAA cracking down on unruly passengers, the massive fines proposed for bad behavior, including assaulting flight attendants. The massive outpouring of support for the first openly gay active NFL player is important message to LGBTQ youth and the big celebration for a miracle baby who beat the odds and is inspiring America. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. Good evening, everyone. It was a goal too far in tonight, the Biden administration's acknowledgement that it will miss its latest vaccination objective as much a setback for the country as it is for the White House. The pace of vaccination stubbornly lagging. President Biden's July 4th target of having 70 percent of adults at least partially vaccinated appears it will come up short. Tonight, over 177 million Americans have received at least one dose that leaves millions of unvaccinated Americans at risk of the more contagious Delta COVID variant. Dr. Fauci today declaring the Delta variant is the greatest threat to eliminating COVID. That threat coinciding with an emerging generation gap over the vaccinations. Tom Yamas now with late details. Tonight, the White House sounding the alarm about the highly contagious Delta variant and admitting a setback when it comes to vaccines. The country will fall short of reaching President Biden's July 4th target for adult vaccinations. Our goal by July 4th is to have 70% of adult Americans at least one shot and 160 million Americans fully vaccinated. The White House hitting the goal with nearly every age group except young adults. Where the country has more work to do is particularly with 18 to 26 year olds. The reality is many younger Americans have felt like COVID-19 is not something that impacts them, and they've been less eager to get the shot. Sajida Med from New York's Test and Trace Corps is working to get young adults vaccinated. Why do you think people your age aren't getting the vaccine? It's, it's just, I, I feel like they're just not encouraged. They feel like they have good immune system. They feel like even they get COVID, like nothing's going to happen to them. Queens resident Brendan De Jesus says both his grandparents are vaccinated, but he's still not ready. Well, I'm not actually worried about catching it. This is something that I, I just use my mask for protection, everyone else's protection, but I don't, I don't feel like the vaccine is necessary. In Texas, at Houston Methodist, 153 workers have resigned or been fired for refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Nationwide, vaccination rates have dropped as the Delta variant becomes the growing threat, accounting for 20% of new COVID cases, doubling in the past two weeks. The Delta variant is currently the greatest threat in the U.S. to our attempt to eliminate COVID-19. He says vaccines protect against the variant, but with summer travel starting to heat up, health officials are warning the pandemic among the unvaccinated will only serve to incubate those variants of concern. And Tom, now there's this growing concern about variants as Americans are traveling. That's right, Lester. It's going to be a busy travel season. AAA saying this could be one of the busiest Fourth of Julys ever. Nearly 50 million Americans expected to hit the roads and the skies. The CDC says the risk is low if you're vaccinated. Lester. Tom Yamas tonight. Thank you. You can make a plan for when and where to get vaccinated. Visit planyourvaccine.com for more. Let's turn out of the showdown on a voting bill tonight in the Senate. President Biden unable to win bipartisan support for the election overhaul he called a top priority.
Garrett Hake is at the Capitol with late details for us. In a defeat for President Biden, Senate Republicans tonight blocking a Democratic voting bill that would have overhauled the country's election system. They don't even want to debate it because they're afraid. They want to deny the right to vote, make it harder to vote for so many Americans. Dubbed the For the People Act, it includes a requirement that states provide same-day voter registration, sets up a public financing system for congressional elections, and requires presidential candidates release their tax returns. Democrats calling the bill a way to push back against new state voting laws passed by Republicans. And I'm going to fight like heck with every tool at my disposal for its passage. But Republicans tonight slamming the bill as a partisan power grab by Democrats that would federalize elections, including preventing states from requiring voter ID. I think it'd be more aptly described as screw the people act. Um, it, it, will, it will make it much easier to cheat in an election. With the bill short of the required 60 votes, some Democrats pushing for a dramatic change to Senate rules. But like Joe Manchin, Arizona's Kirsten Cinema showing no sign she'd support that. Senator, what do you say to Democrats who are disappointed by your op-ed about the filibuster? Feel like maybe they could still change your mind. <laughs> Tonight, Democrats are comparing this vote to round one of a boxing match, vowing to fight on to find some way to pass this bill. Lester? Garrett Haight, thanks. This is part of a critical week for President Biden's agenda. NBC's Kelly O'Donnell is at the White House. Kelly, the president is now facing two key setbacks here. That's right, Lester. For the president, challenges are colliding this week. That missed vaccination target, voting rights legislation blocked. And against those setbacks, Mr. Biden is quietly trying to nail down a bipartisan deal on infrastructure, making calls, holding meetings here. Now, the White House acknowledges time is running short, and the toughest hurdle has been differing views on how to pay for it and whether to include money for social programs and climate change. But the president is described as encouraged that a compromise is still achievable. Lester? Okay, Kelly, thank you. Police use of force sending tens of thousands to hospitals each year. Is it going too far? As more people resume flying, reports of unruly passengers continue to soar. The FAA now citing about 3,100 incidents since January, more than two-thirds for refusing to wear masks, some facing fines of more than $20,000. A milestone in pro sports is being celebrated after a defensive end for the Las Vegas Raiders became the first active player in the NFL to announce that he is gay. Stephanie Gosk has reaction from the league and beyond. NFL player Carl Nassib says he hopes there will be a day when announcements like his are no longer necessary. But it's not today. I just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now. The response overwhelmingly positive from players like Shaquan Barkley and J.J. Watt. The league and his own team telling the defensive end they are proud of him. This fall, Nassib will likely become the first openly gay NFL player to take the field. I just think that representation and visibility are so important. He's donated $100,000 to the Trevor Project, the largest organization dedicated to LGBTQ young people. When young people look up and see people who are like them, it sends a message that they can succeed. I mean, this is not only a huge moment for Carl, but a huge moment for sports, specifically male professional sports. R.K. Russell played for Tampa Bay and Dallas. After he retired, he went public about being bisexual. Do you think this will actually change the culture within the league, potentially? 
The times are changing, you know, the league is changing, society's changing. I was just honestly really elated for Carl and for all of the kids that are now looking at him and seeing themselves. Tonight, the NFL had an announcement of its own. The league is matching Nassib's donation to the Trevor Project. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News. In our series, Future of the Force, every year thousands of people end up in the ER after run-ins with police. NBC News and the Marshall Project examined one department's record and what we found is striking. Here's Gotti Schwartz. Marissa Santa Cruz and Payatukawafu were celebrating Marissa's 22nd birthday at a San Jose hotel when there was a knock on the door. Staff told them to lower their music. The next knock was the police. San Jose, please open the door. I'm a big guy, dark too. And just the way how I, I, I have, you know, I have my tattoos. Some people can't help but to profile you. The police told the couple they had to leave. While they were packing, Paya cursed at the officers. Start packing and let's go, okay? Then two seconds later... Push up and tase this guy. Taser, taser, taser! The officers used tasers, batons, and a riot gun. I put myself in between them, and then I was on the floor. All I remember was feeling pain. Marissa and Paya were taken to the hospital for their injuries. Nationwide, at least 80,000 people are sent to the hospital each year after an interaction with law enforcement or security guards. NBC News found over the past three years in San Jose, 43% of use of force incidents ended in a trip to the emergency room. Are you comfortable with how many people are being hospitalized after use of force incidents? No, uh, we need to do better. But uh, again, any use of force incident uh, is driven by the noncompliance of the individual that we're trying to detain or arrest. The San Jose Police Department says the numbers are high because they're doing the right thing, taking people to the hospital for even minor complaints. Is focus being put on de-escalation as opposed to resorting to use of force? We're always looking for opportunities to better ourselves. De-escalation, slowing things down, tactical conduct, all these things are our basis for how our officers interact uh, with members of the community. In and of itself, cussing at a police officer is not enough for them to be able to use force. It's Bryce Peterson specializes in police use of force. He says across the country, de-escalation will help rebuild trust between communities and the police. Officers are there to protect and serve. And so when people see the result of that and it results in people being hospitalized or brutalized, it can definitely erode public trust. Marissa and Paya were not charged and are suing the department. In response to their lawsuit, San Jose police say the use of force was appropriate, reasonable, and constitutionally permissible. Marissa, whose father works in law enforcement, said that night at the hotel has changed how she sees police. I always did respect police, and I always trusted them with everything because I knew them. I knew a lot of them. And then having this happen firsthand, you know, was the biggest wake-up call. While Paya, who works as an unarmed security guard, says he always tries to de-escalate with empathy and understanding. You put yourself in their shoes and you can automatically feel what's what they're going through. And despite what happened, he still hopes to fulfill his dream of going into law enforcement. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, San Jose, California. An update now on a story you saw right here. A celebrity doctor and her husband demanding social media companies allow parental apps to monitor children's online activity after they suffered a devastating loss. Here's Kate Snow. Our son Sammy was an amazing kid. In a new campaign, Dr. Laura Berman and her husband Sam warn parents drug dealers are using social media to connect with kids. We experienced every parent's worst pain. We lost our son. 
Sammy bought what he thought was a pharmaceutical drug through a dealer he met on Snapchat, but it contained a lethal amount of fentanyl. You're becoming an advocate, it sounds like. Mostly just because I've been so unbelievably infuriated by how little our children are protected. There are a wide range of parental monitoring tools and apps out there. Most allow parents to block entire sites, but the Bermans want social media companies to work with monitoring apps to make it easier to screen children's content within social media sites. The problem is not all platforms accommodate parent monitoring software. And the ones that don't are the ones our kids are, are populating. An app called Bark flags worrisome posts or messages about drugs, bullying, mental health, or violence. But on iPhones, Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram direct messages are not accessible to Bark. That's the bare minimum we should be able to expect from the social media platforms that are making gajillions of dollars off of our, us and our children. Our son ordered drugs off of a colorful menu. The words on that menu would have alerted us if we had had parent monitoring software allowed on Snapchat. Snapchat says it's deliberate about what user information can be released to third-party apps and says it's willing to work with parental apps as long as it doesn't compromise the security and data privacy of our community. Snapchat also says it's looking into developing their own parental controls within the app. The company declined to specifically comment on Bark. TikTok did not explain why they don't share content with Bark, but highlighted its commitment to promote a safe and age-appropriate experience for teens. In Instagram had no statement, but a company spokesperson says they're focused on safety measures for teens, including limiting interactions between teens and adult strangers. The Berman's youngest son uses Snapchat every day. He's posted 380,000 times. I'm not interested in taking social media down. What I want is for them to partner with us and be as invested in protecting our children as they should be since our children live there, or at the very least, don't stand in the way of us protecting them. Through their grief, a new mission to help other families. Kate Snow, NBC News. And up next for us tonight, one little boy and a huge success story that's definitely inspiring America. NBC Nightly News is brought to you by Liberty Mutual Insurance. Only pay for what you need. Finally, I want you to meet a little boy who is a picture of joy and who is showing all of us what beating the odds is all about. Hey, good morning, everyone. Meet Richard Scott William Hutchinson, the little guy who continues to accomplish big feats. He's a fighter. I think he'll be... Uh a fighter for the rest of his life. Richard was born five months premature, weighing less than a pound, so small he could fit into the palm of a hand. The doctors at Children's Minnesota Hospital in Minneapolis gave him a zero percent chance of survival. We were scared. I mean, we, I cried. I wanted our son to survive so bad. Beth and Rick Hutchinson fought hard alongside their son. Even when COVID restrictions made it a challenge, they drove across the state from their Wisconsin home every day to be with him. We were by him, you know, showing him that we cared and that we love him and that we want him to keep fighting. Richard finally went home in December 2020 after spending more than six months in the neonatal intensive care unit. 
It's been a year of triumph for Richard, who just celebrated his first birthday and broke a Guinness World Record, becoming the most premature baby to survive. He went through so much in his small little life. He's honestly my hero. A tough guy indeed. That's nightly news for this Tuesday. Thank you for watching. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night. Hey, NBC News viewers, thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking on that button down here and click on any of the videos over here to watch the latest interviews, show highlights, and digital exclusives. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.